What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are back in action here on Tuesday, September 28, 2021, final week of the regular season of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. We're here to round up all things MLB. I just got back into town from Arizona, so because of my vacation, there was no football episode this week, but we will have another football episode dropping. I'll be recording that on Sunday with Jack Keenan. He's a uh, TV guy in the Fort in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's a uh, he's a newscaster over there, so very excited to talk with him. Actually, met him at a baseball game. Great story with him. Uh, he's a huge football guy, so we'll be recapping week four of the NFL season and week five of college football. Some exciting matchups, and uh, we'll be we'll be dropping that recap. And then on Monday, I'll be talking with Brian Cohen, who hosts the Challenge Our Hap Up podcast over at the Rob Has a Podcast podcast network and he's a huge baseball guy and that will be our next baseball episode we'll be previewing the playoffs believe it or not and maybe we'll be having some uh, game 163s on that day as well so uh, great time of the year we'll probably we'll, we'll also give our end of the season awards picks so make sure you guys are all subscribed to the jack vita show on apple Podcasts, amazon spotify wherever it is that you're listening to podcasts and follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, so make sure you don't miss out on any of that. And last week, we had a great episode. We spoke with Stephanie LaGrosa Kendrick, one of the true legends of Survivor. And today we're talking with a true Survivor historian, Mario Lanza. He hosts the podcast Survivor Historians. He also has been writing and blogging about reality TV, Saturday Night Live, um, and a bunch of other stuff. He had a baseball blog back in the day, but he's been he's been covering these shows for about 20 years now. And he's got a podcast called Staff Picks for underloved and underrated movies, which I should be going on sometime in the future. So you guys are all going to want to check that out. Mario, welcome back to the show, my man. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be back here on the Jack Vita show, following up Stephanie LaGrosa. <laughs> Now, of course, you're following up Stephanie, and for those who are listening to us, and maybe they maybe they haven't watched Survivor. You are the Survivor historian. How would you describe Stephanie and why she's important to the show to someone who doesn't know and isn't familiar with her? Stephanie, okay, Stephanie is kind of interesting, and I don't know if this will make sense to people who don't follow reality TV. But in the early days of the show, almost all of the big stars were the guys. The Colbys, the Rupert, you know, Boston Rob, Rob Sestern, you know, these were the big names of Survivor. And there wasn't really a big female star until season 10 with Stephanie. When Stephanie pops up there and she shows all this heart and determination, she's as tough as all the guys. And, you know, she's this really, you know, tough chick. And she comes out there and she almost comes back and wins Survivor, being down basically eight to one at one point. She's an entire tribe against her. And the show loved this. She was so popular and so charismatic that they basically rebranded the whole show around Stephanie. I don't think people would remember this unless they were there. That she was like the inspiration to every young girl on Survivor. She showed it with the heart, what, the, what kind of heart and determination it takes. So she was as big at her peak as anybody has ever 
ever been on Survivor, really. And she was the first big, massive female star like Rupert. So, like, she was a big deal. And that's why I made a joke that I'm following her up. (laughs) As they always say, like, as a stand-up comic, you don't want to follow Sam Kinison. You don't want to follow Mitch Hedberg. (laughs) Like, oh, good. So you have Stephanie, the biggest inspiration, the most heart of any Survivor player ever. And now me as the cleanup hitter following her in the order. So thank you, Jack. (laughs) <laughs> You're welcome, Mario. It's great to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephanie is a really big deal, and, and I don't think a lot of modern Survivor fans really re- realize that because she had a kind of a downfall after that. They invited her back way too fast. The magic wasn't there the second time, but yeah, she is someone who I, I don't get intimidated by reality TV players very often. I would be intimidated to meet Stephanie. She's a big deal. Yeah, she's a big deal. And by the way, for those sports lovers, so she was an athlete. She played Division One lacrosse. She won a conference championship. I think she was two-time all-conference in the Northeast Conference, I think was the conference that she played at at Monmouth. And she played at Temple before that, which was one of the top 10 teams in the country at the time. She was a great high school athlete. She had some cool stories because she actually was playing in Philadelphia at the same time as Kobe Bryant was in Philadelphia. So she had some interesting Kobe thoughts. And then, of course, uh, she's married now to the World Series champion on 2008, Philadelphia Phillies, a member of their pitching rotation, Kyle Kendrick. So Stephanie knows a lot of sports. If you're not interested in the Survivor stuff, you should at least listen the first half hour. There's a lot of good sports stuff there. Yeah, and also I should point out she's half my size and can probably beat me in a fight. So that's good. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that. <laughs> And she doesn't look like she's aged a day either. Yeah, uh, Stephanie, uh, I, I think that was a huge get. I'm glad you got her on the show. Just more people need to be reminded of Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome talking with her, someone that I looked up to as a kid. And uh, at the end of the day, people are just regular people. So it's cool to kind of get inside her head and talk with her. Um, but her Phillies right now, fun, fun fact about her Phillies, prior to her appearance on the show, they were on a losing skid. They went, I think they were like, they won, they lost six of eight. Well, that night, and by the way, I have Cubs fandom here in Chicago. The Cubs were playing the Phillies. That night, the Cubs and the Phillies, Cubs were up 7 nothing, and the Phillies came back and won. And since then, the Phillies have been on this stretch where they're, I think they've won nine of their last 12. So if the Phillies end up making the playoffs, they can thank Stephanie LaGrosa Kendrick for coming on this show. (laughs) I'm glad to see she's still doing good in the world. (laughs) Absolutely. So right now we are at the point, this is gut check time in baseball. It's just a really fantastic time of year. It's the final week of the season. Right now there's some games going on. a, A couple of big series, which we'll get to. Uh, beginning tonight, it's again Tuesday the 28th. There's Most teams have six games left. Um, since the last time I talked, we talked baseball a week ago with Arrestus Destrade, uh, who does the pregame and postgame shows for the Tampa Bay Rays. Fantastic guy. Formerly was on baseball tonight. And the Tampa Bay Rays right now are going to most likely finish with the best record in the American League. Uh, they're at 97 and 59. They open a series tonight with the Houston Astros. Six games between the two of them. So it looks like Tampa Bay Rays are going to finish with the top record in the American League. So 
let me get this straight. You had Arrestas, Destrada, and then Stephanie, and then me. So those are the two that I followed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you couldn't get Shohei Otani right before me. <laughs> well, the, yeah, no, the... that's cool. It's a... Yeah, go I was going to say, yeah, good for the Rays. The Rays are the one of the <laughs> – I say this as an embittered Mariner fan of 40 years. The Rays are one of the teams I don't hate, so good for them. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time the Rays have put together three straight trips to the postseason. There are like 12 teams in Major League Baseball. And I don't have the list in front of me. I could Maybe I'll pull it up if people are interested. But there are like 12 teams in MLB history that have never gone to the postseason three years in a row. So the, the Rays are now doing it for the first time. Um, phenomenal story with them. And when I picked them to win the AL East and finish with the best record in the American League, nobody believed it. So uh, chew on that, guys. <laughs> Yeah, again, once again, as a Mariners fan, there's nothing I enjoy more than hearing about other teams' postseason successes. <laughs> Although, I do have to say, I love Mike Zunino, so good for him. I really liked that guy when he was in Seattle. Mike Zunino, he was he just helped me win a fantasy championship over the weekend, um, mm-hmm. and he, it seemed like he only hits homers. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's only, not new. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he finished with 30 homers this year. I don't, I mean, he's never going to leg out a triple, but I don't, I, it feels like he's either hitting it off the wall or he's hitting it over the wall. And those are all his hits. Yeah. And he was like that in Seattle too. And that's the thing. It just, it just comes down to how much the GM and the manager are willing to put up with that. And this year he happens to be making people much happier than he made people in the past, but he's a great guy. I, it's, again, he was my favorite player on Seattle when he was on the Mariners. Yeah, it's interesting with Tampa because they're an analytically savvy team. And I think a lot of people just to think, oh, yeah, they don't strike out a lot. Well, they're actually one of the teams that strike out most in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so they slug, but they slug a lot. They hit a lot of home runs. Um, and they, like I said, they put up a lot of runs. So they have the second best run differential in the American League. Mike Zunino, a big part of that. And by the way, Mike Zunino, he was a high pick, too. I think he was like a top three draft pick. Maybe was, mm-hmm. was that 2012? No, 2011, 2013, yeah. like around then. Yeah, Yeah. Seattle took him real high and then rushed him to the majors because we had no catcher. So it took, he lost a couple development years he probably should have had. Although, I mean, you could argue he is what he's going to be now. But yeah, he was a really high pick. He was When Seattle got him, it was a big get at the time. So the Houston Astros swept by the Oakland A's over the weekend. Things are very interesting in the AL West right now. Houston's going to clinch. They got a four and a half game lead over Mario Seattle Mariners. Um, the White Sox are basically not. <laughs> the White Sox it hasn't mattered at all. They have a record of twenty five and twenty nine versus above five hundred teams. The White Sox have wrapped up the AL Central a long time ago. They're the only quality team in that division, which makes it tough to tell how good the White Sox are. But mm-hmm. it's looking like no team in the AL Central is going to finish this season with a winning record. Um, so that is who you have. They clinched their division as well. Houston about to clinch the AL West. And that's where things stand in terms of division leaders, of course. Yeah, it does make me ask the question, why is Seattle not in the AL Central? We would love to be <laughs> not in the Astros division. It'd be so much, life would be so much happier. <laughs> you know what, I just, I just saw a stat recently. You know, Seattle obviously hasn't made the playoffs in 20 years. But I think I read somewhere that between, what was between 2012 and 2020, the Mariners have like the fifth best record in the AL overall or something like that. Between what years? Sorry. 
I forget what years. It's like over the past 12 years or something. Like the Mariners have one of the best records in baseball overall. They just can't get over the hump because there's too many teams they're competing against. Yeah, they had that team. Like I, I could think of a few of their teams that they've had over that mm-hmm. stretch. Like they had the team, I think it was three years ago when they went out and they traded for uh, D. Gordon. They said we we're going to make him center fielder. And that team mm-hmm. was fun and they were good, but it just happened that the A's and the Astros were better than them. That was 2018. And then since then, they just decided, all right, we got to blow this thing up. And I think right now, though, and we'll talk plenty of Mariners here in a second, but I think mm-hmm. their strategy to rebuild when they did was very smart because I believe this AL West is really going to open up nicely for them over the next couple of years. <laughs> and I hope so because that was supposed to be the plan for years. Like, well, the <laughs> AL West, they can't always be good. Someone will have to start going down, and it never it's never enough teams. Like, Seattle's always been a pretty decent team. In fact, this is not like, like I grew up in the 80s where it was a miracle if the Mariners would break 500. And that is certainly not this era. Like, they break 500 now. It's not really that big a deal. But now they just can't get over that hump because there's always those other teams sitting right there. <laughs> it's usually those damn A's who are always good for no apparent reason. They just are. <laughs> but they do have a they have a two games better record than the Oakland A's. The A's sweep the Astros this past weekend to keep them alive. That was very critical for them. Um, in, the, in terms of the AL wild card right now, New York Yankees would host the wild card if the season ended today. Boston Red Sox, a game behind them. Now, the Yankees went into Fenway over the weekend and swept the Red Sox. Really wild game on Sunday Night Baseball. I was watching that with a couple of Yankees fans out in Arizona. Uh, There were like two or three just very bizarre plays, like fly balls that hit off a guy's glove. Uh, Joey Gallo, DJ LeMahieu who are both plus defenders making very, very strange errors. It was it was a weird, weird game out in Fenway. But the Yankees, uh, this is what the this has been such a roller coaster team, up and down all season. They've won six straight. They're in a pretty good spot right now, but not I mean, they don't have too much room for comfort. Boston's just a game behind them. Toronto now, so you got Boston in that second wild card spot. Toronto, a game behind them. So you got potential. You have four teams in the AL East. That's you know the only division that's tougher than the AL West, the AL East for this year. And then Seattle, a game and a half back of Boston, and Oakland, three and a half games out. What a what a year on the AL side of things. Well, yeah, and and just think back to the start of the year when, like, there was a doubt there would even be a baseball season this year. So, it's like I think it's exciting that there it's coming down to so many exciting races. It's cool. Yeah, it's great, and I know we've talked about it. We talked about a year ago. Um, I have to think that you're you're you would like them to expand this postseason, especially as a Mariners fan. <laughs> yes, as a Seattle fan, there's nothing I like more. Perhaps invite a couple more teams to the playoffs. That would be very good for our morale. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, okay, obviously you want to get in there legitimately, but if they just happen to open it up where a couple more teams at the bottom who are always there sneak in there, then it would uh, it would absolve us of a lot of our sins as Mariner fans we have to live <laughs> with on a daily basis these days. So I think what needs to happen, I wrote a piece on this earlier this year. You guys can check it out at my website, jackvita.com. My idea is let's let's hold off on expanding the postseason but let's add two more expansion franchises. There are a bunch of places that would love to have a baseball team, whether it's Nashville, uh, Charlotte, Portland, Buffalo. 
Uh, somewhere in Texas, maybe Austin, San Antonio. Like, there are a lot of cities that would love to have a baseball team. Mm-hmm. And let's just make this like what the NFL has had for the last 20 years, where you have 32 teams, a nice round number, 16 teams in each league. You can cut down on interleague games and have, which I, I guess that probably won't happen, but you could have a little more, because right now when you have 30 teams, 15 in each league, you have to have an interleague series going on at all times at least. Mm-hmm. Um, 16's a really nice round number. Add another division in each league. We go NL North, NL East, NL South. NL West, and mm-hmm. then each division winner gets in the playoffs, and you have two wild cards. I think that would be really perfect for baseball. No, I agree, and that's something I've thought of as well, just to even it out a little bit, add more teams, less interleague play. Here's a proposal I have as a Seattle fan. Move the Astros and the A's to the National League. <laughs> That'd be really good for us. <laughs> well, you know, it is funny that you say that because the Astros for a while were in the NL Central and they moved them out to mm-hmm. the AL because you had six teams in the NL Central. So you have one division with four teams in the AL West and then everyone else has five teams. And so at that time, they were doing this idea of like, all right, we got to have an even number of American League teams and NL teams, even if it's mm-hmm. not the same number because then there's less... Uh, interleague play and then instead they just decided well let's instead have five in each division so it's a little more balanced which is how it should be it should be the most balanced but then of course when you do that then you have to have an interleague series going on at all times it's funny though how the astros ended up being the team that got shipped to the american league considering that the milwaukee brewers were an american league team at one point it would have made more sense to just make them an al team once again yeah, and again, it was funny because at the time, the Astros stunk. So yeah. like, when you moved into the AL, it's like, yes, we have a, a someone to kick around for a couple <laughs> years. So that really was the reality. But then, of course, when Seattle started getting better, the Astros got really better. So that was the yeah. problem. But yeah, at the time, I don't know if people remember that. They were like the little whipping boys of the uh, AL for a while when they came over. Yeah, that was the t- remember Altuve and they had Chris Carter who hit 40 home runs one year. I think he led the league in homers and mm-hmm. I don't even know where that guy is. He fell off a map. Uh, but they had yeah, they they were a uh, I remember the 2012 draft, 2013 draft. They had those uh, really a stretch from 2012 through 2014. They had really really high picks and mm-hmm. that's where they got all those guys. They got Bregman they got mm-hmm. uh, Correa was a number one pick in 2012. They had one year where I think they drafted. The, they had the number one overall pick, this guy Brady Aiken. Do you remember this, Mario? Yeah, he was a pitcher, right? Yeah, and they they he had some arm problems, and they ended up not even signing him. So they mm-hmm. just lost the number one overall pick. Uh, the guy, they didn't end up signing him, but that was pretty wild at the time. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it sets a bad precedent, and it did at the time, and it's still to this day, that if teams tank and tank successfully, they can get a lot of good draft picks, and that's the best way to build you know, long-standing success in baseball is to get this huge farm system. So that was the thing. You knew at the time what they were doing. They are going to be good in five years. You just hope you could get your licks in while they weren't good, but it's a little too late now. Although, in, in, in fairness to the Mariners and all of baseball, really, who are hoping for this, the Astros probably are on the bit of a downside now. Yeah, it's going to come in the next couple of years here. I, I thought there would be a little more aggression this year, but this team's been fantastic. Their pitching has mm-hmm. been very impressive. Uh, going back to what you said about the strategy for tanking, I think that, honestly, my opinion is might be a little different in that I think that 
in base or sorry in football and in basketball you get a number one overall pick and it changes the trajectory of your franchise yeah in baseball yes it's nice to have that high pick and i guess if you're in that range of like like i'm watching the cubs right now the cubs are trying to get up the draft board right now they cleared out their whole team um but for the most part i think a lot of the strategy is like it's not really that the the end goal is to lose as many games as you can where you're doing that in the NBA and in the NFL. Whereas in baseball, it's more like we're trying to replenish our farm system. So a lot of times those trades and you can't trade draft picks. Mm-hmm. So it's like what, what the Cubs had to do. The Cubs had to start rebuilding this process because they were about to lose everybody in free agency for nothing. And so the, the natural goal is, all right, well, let's, let's move these players for something in the farm system to build it up for the future. And naturally what ends up happening is when that's your strategy, teams end up losing a lot of games. They're not like actively trying to lose. Now, in yeah. some cases, I do, th- I do think the Cubs are actively trying to lose games, but I don't think that happens as much in baseball as it does in other sports. Yeah, I agree. I had a, a roommate in college, this guy Danny, and he hated baseball. He would only watch basketball, college basketball. And I would ask him, why don't you like baseball? And he, he would say, because in basketball and football and stuff, if a guy's the number one pick, you know he's going to be a star one day. So it's more predictable. He's like, baseball, the draft is meaningless. It's such a crapshoot. And so it's infuriating to him for him to follow. <laughs> he just didn't like that. So, I mean, there's, it makes you make a good argument. You, you can't really – in in, in you can't promise anything by tanking. The worst thing you can do is really what the Mariners did for so many years is where you're 500 every year. Yeah. You're never good enough or bad enough to get a good pick or any playoffs. So that's the problem. You don't want to get stuck in that that uh, cycle of mediocrity where you can never comp- uh, improve. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so let's talk about the Mariners at this time because here we are, the 28th of September. Now, Mario, I know you had a busy summer. Uh, you you weren't able to record podcasts for a while, and we said, all right, we'll try to get a podcast out before the end of the season. And we actually did, a, I think, so we've done, this is year three that we've done an annual Lanza pod, mm-hmm. and uh, this is, so two years ago we did in the middle of summer, last year we did it at the end of the year, like this year, and because of the expanded postseason, the, the Mariners were relatively interesting, but you had eight teams making the postseason in the American League. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Seattle Mariners, who... I think their over under total was uh, we, we we oh yeah we had you do the the Mariners preview uh, in the preseason <laughs> which you did a good job on by the way and that I I'm trying to think I think that the total was like around seventy four and a half I want to say was where a lot of people were projecting them for an over under total mm-hmm. they're at eighty seven and seventy. <laughs> They're probably going to win 90 games. You get six games left. You go three and three, or sorry, five games left. Um, but good shot of the Mariners winning 90 games, potentially missing the postseason. Mm-hmm. I have to think that this has been a very fun year for you as a Mariners fan. Yeah, and again, this is, I'm sure I'm speaking to many people out in the uh, audience who are listening to this, the best type of baseball the best year ever is where there's no expectations and all of a sudden the team is good and they weren't expected to be. Yeah. And so it's like you're playing with the house's money all season. You can't possibly lose. That's that's what it feels like. Like we probably are not going to make the playoffs. Statistically, we probably won't. But we were expected to win like 75 games and this was a throwaway year of just people getting experience. All of a sudden, they're going to win 90. They're bringing up all these rookies that we weren't even expecting to bring up. There's a guy, Matt Brash, expected to make his debut tonight. Like, he wasn't expected to show up until next year. So it's like there's a lot of cool things going on in Seattle. 
that if we make the playoffs, awesome. I'll be so excited. But even if you don't, I have heard other people say, other GMs say in interviews, we're so jealous of the Mariners this season because they have all this goodwill, all this fun. They have all these farm system rookies coming up in the next couple of years. Like other GMs are like, I'm so jealous of that team right now because this is really just the start of what may be the next big Seattle era. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's reminiscent to me of the 2015 Cubs that that year was like a bonus year. It was like they yeah. weren't supposed to be good. They get to the NLCS. Now, the Mariners probably – it's going to be a, an outside shot here at the postseason. They're mm-hmm. game and a half back. Toronto and New York, the Yankees, they open a series tonight. They're playing right now. Um, so those are a couple teams that are bubble teams, I guess you could say. The Red Sox have the Orioles. So I think the Red Sox are going to clean up here, and they should solidify a postseason spot. Mm-hmm. Toronto's got a shot to – move in there but then of course if the the problem for the Mariners here is that with one of these teams Toronto or New York is going to be winning these games so mm-hmm. uh, the Mariners open up the series tonight with the Oakland A's and if they can I, they're, they're really going to have to kick Oakland's butts here in order to, to move and Oakland's playing some good baseball. So, or did they play already today? No. Yeah. Well, let me correct you on that. Yeah. This is the second game of the series they played that's, last night. That's Seattle right. Seattle won fourteen to three. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I saw that. I was looking at this, um, and I I knew there were only a couple games yesterday, and I was on my flight. So, my apologies to the listeners. I screwed that up. <laughs> yeah, Seattle. I mean, they don't really control their own destiny. They really have to win their last five games, and they have to hope for some sweeps. Like you got Toronto against New York, one of those teams has to sweep the other one. If it's two and one, yeah. that doesn't do it for us. So that's the thing. It's just a bonus if Seattle makes the playoffs. But again, they're right there. And I, I have joked about this on Facebook. It's so odd as a Mariners fan when September baseball games are stressful. <laughs> I do not know that feeling. <laughs> and you went to a game this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, the Mariners were in Anaheim, and I live in Southern California. I'm a, I'm a transplanted Seattle fan in Southern California. So I go to Angels games, and I usually have pretty good luck. The Mariners usually win when I'm there because the Angels uh, are not good right now. But, yeah, the Mariners needed to sweep the Angels. It was three must-win games. They won the first game. They won the third game. I went to the second game. I'm like, <laughs> I'll go to the second game, and maybe I'll, they'll sweep. And, of course, that's the one game the Mariners lost 14-1. to that they were down by 11 runs in the third inning. And so I'm like, well, I told my wife, okay, it's kind of funny at this point. We needed to win this game. We just got absolutely our butts kicked. But I'd rather have them lose 14-1 to than lose in the ninth on like a blown save. At least this was less stressful. <laughs> That's true. That's a yeah. fair point. <laughs> you got to take the loss. I mean, I was, I was sitting there going, I hope we pitch a position player. Because I've never seen that in person. Oh, yeah. I was really hoping we'd get like our third string catcher up there or something. But I still to this day... Jack have never seen a position player pitch in person, and it's like oh. it's like it's like my uh, my bucket list, my white whale. <laughs> yeah, I I think I saw. I'm trying to think. I saw I saw it at one point. I can't remember who it was. It may have been David Ross or like Eric Sogard or someone. It was just a. It was weird. It was Ben Zobrist, maybe. Yeah, it's a magic moment when you get to see it. It's like seeing a <laughs> unicorn in the wild. <laughs> So yeah, so I yeah, so I was down here in Anaheim and we did not finish off the sweep, but we may finish off the sweep with Oakland, which would be fun because we just own Oakland for some reason this year, which has never happened before. Yeah, and I think Oakland's another team that 
I think this was a really a year that they should have put all their chips in, or mm-hmm. especially last year. Last year, I mean, they were screwed because of the whole COVID thing last year. Mm-hmm. Like that was, and you lose Marcus Simeon, who's having an MVP caliber season in Toronto now. That's a big loss, and they mm-hmm. they weren't able to replace him. Uh, they have a good team, but it, they look like they've regressed from where they were over the last three years. And uh, naturally, I think Oakland's probably going to be stepping into what they're going to what Billy Bean has been so good at where you're going to have to start reloading this thing and I think that that could come this off season maybe it comes a year from now but I think we could be seeing some of these uh known commodities in Oakland being moved to start replenishing that pipeline similar to when they had to trade Josh Donaldson to the Blue Jays uh after he had an MVP year yeah and I agree and, and I feel well, first off, Oakland is always good at that. They will always rebuild. They'll always yeah. be competitive. They don't really have like 100 lost seasons very often. So, And I will say I feel bad talking crap about them because Oakland's my, fa- my second favorite team after Seattle. Like if Seattle doesn't win the World Series, I want Oakland to win it because I'm a West Coast guy. But uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they should be a little better this year, and they were expected to be ahead of Seattle. And Seattle all of a sudden just leapfrogged them in the standings and just – like steamrolled them, swept them four in Oakland. And the last night it was 14 to three. And I think I remember even the Oakland manager saying, this Seattle team's different this year. They're hungry. They, they have that look in their eyes that they want to pound us, which Seattle normally does not have. Yeah, and by the way, we I don't think we even mentioned that Kyle Lewis, I mean, where has Kyle mm-hmm. Lewis been this year? He's been injured most of the season, right? Yeah, our rookie of the year, our building block we're building our team around has missed almost the entire year. And when he was out there, he was not at 100% because his knee was all banged up. So, yeah, Seattle has inexplicably won. Also, James Paxton, we we signed James Paxton to start the year. He was our big hired gun. I think he pitched one pitch or one inning at, at most. So we've done the whole thing, 90 wins without Paxton or Kyle Lewis, which is amazing. Like that, that doesn't normally happen in baseball. No, it doesn't. And a fun little fun anecdote regarding Kyle Lewis. My brother, Chicago guy, his whole life. The Cubs are entering into this rebuild. And we we saw the writing on the wall a year ago. We knew where this was going to go. Spring training, well, I get, he's also my brother's a big sports card collector. So last year the the card business with after COVID, people want to invest in other things aside from uh, what where they might put their finances. So the the sports card industry really blew up again and it's still really hot right now my brother decides he's he starts watching kyle lewis before he wins rookie of the year and he decides i want to buy every single kyle lewis rookie card that there is out on the market and so he has like a monopoly on kyle lewis rookie cards the rookie Uh autos the jersey cards everything so spring training rolls around this year and I tape, and here's another funny thing. We tape our AL West preview. I taped that with Anthony Franz, who's a huge Rangers fan. We get the audio clip from you on the Mariners Outlook. My brother sees that episode drops, and he sees, he says, Jack, why didn't you have me on the AL West? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm a huge Mariners fan. I'm like, what? I've never, never in your life, I've never heard you say anything about the Mariners. He's like, Oh, well, I am now. I watched every single game Kyle Lewis played last year, <laughs> and he's uh, now he's a huge Mariners guy. Well, at least that's what he said at the start of the year. Now, I'm like, hey, Tim, how about the Mariners? He's like, yeah, I'm not watching because Kyle Lewis is hurt. There you go. So you made the correct call. 
I was your Mariners person. Do not do not accept these imposters. Only I am allowed to come on the Jack Vita show and talk about the Mariners with my fandom going back to 1981. Hey, there we go. But <laughs> that's uh, that's how my brother. He's he's got a lot of riding on Kyle Lewis. So it's pretty funny though because I'm like, dude. Mariners are really good, and he and like this was a recent conversation. I was asking him like, "Have you been watching the Mariners games?" He's like, "No." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Kyle Lewis, he's gone. I don't care anymore." I'm like, "You said you were a Mariners fan." He's, so it's like he's a Kyle Lewis guy. He's got a lot riding on him, but it's just uh, it's pretty hilarious. And by the way, there's another guy who's been on this show, uh, Nathan Santo Domingo. He's a mm-hmm. meteorologist actually from Seattle, and now he's in Iowa. And the first time I connected with him, he's Anthony Franz's roommate. I competed against him in Sports Jeopardy, beat him by the way. And he says at the end, he's like, he's like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna be the official Seattle sports guy of the Jack Vita <laughs> show. I'm like, you're too late, bud. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the good thing as a meteorologist, he can actually tell you which comet is gonna fall out of the sky and hit <laughs> Kyle Lewis on the knee and hurt him next. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I gotta talk something about your brother. Are people yeah. still making money from baseball card collecting? Yeah, it's like, so. It, I thought that industry went out in the eighties and nineties. I, I had no idea people were still doing that. So it blew back up real recently. Like, but actually, speaking of survivors, Boston Rob's actually a big card collector now. At least he he probably was as a kid, but he's been posting a lot. He's been going to like card shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and so. Um, the big thing, and this probably started, let's see, was this, I remember this from like around 2009 when we were in high school and my, my brother was in junior high. The big thing is group breaks. Have you ever heard of a group break? No, and, I don't know that. Okay. So basically somebody buys a box of cards. So maybe, you know, Topps Chrome or what Bowman Chrome. There are a lot of really good uh, sports cards. And so he, so someone will buy a box and then you, the guy who buys the box will do a YouTube video where he opens the box up. Now people have the option to buy into that box. So for instance, you, you, you spend 20 bucks and you pick your team or some teams might cost more. And let's say Mario, you bought the Mariners. Well, every single Mariners card you would get in that box. So it's I mean it's a little bit of like a like a gambling type thing, mm-hmm. um, but that's a big thing. That's a way some people make money by opening up the boxes and then charging people for the cards, or just you know doing the old fashioned way of buying a box for yourself, opening it up, or buying cards in general. I bought, I actually bought a couple cards a couple years ago. I got a Corey Seager uh, rookie auto when he was hurt. And that one, I, I like to buy low on some of these guys. So I got, I think I had, it was a Max Fried rookie auto. There were a couple good ones that I got on eBay for maybe like 10 bucks, and those have multiplied probably times 10 since then. Um, but that was before the industry really uh, came back, and it really blew up last year. Um, I think a lot of people were just trying to invest money into things during mm-hmm. COVID and sports cards. Uh, the, the market's hot right now. Okay. Yeah, I have a long history of baseball cards going back to the 80s, early 80s and stuff. So I've lived through the first wave of this, which this is why it amazes me that people are still doing this. And you say they're actually making money off this. I I would love to see the evidence on that because (laughs) I would just tell you my history that I grew up in the 80s when every kid collected baseball cards and every kid thought they were going to get rich doing this. And I remember (laughs) my dad had to sit me down and said, you know, Mario, if every kid collects cards, those cards aren't worth anything. (laughs) 
And I'm like, but Beckett Baseball Monthly says this is worth $10. And he's like, to who? Who's going to buy that off you? No one will buy that off you. And so I still have to this day a huge binder of all these Ricky Henderson rookies, Robin Yount rookies. I got all sorts. I got a Cal Ripken rookie, Wade Boggs, everybody. Wow. But I know I, I will, it will not be as easy to sell if I ever wanted to just because, again, there's so many of those out there that they're not that rare. That's, so that's always been my thing with baseball cards. Like my brother I know has a Johnny Bench rookie. He, brought, he bought that when he wow. was a kid. He has a Nolan Ryan rookie. He has them stored in some warehouse everywhere because he's convinced, you know, I probably couldn't sell this for much more than I bought it for because people don't buy it, don't actually buy this stuff. So I've always thought that's this big urban legend that every kid thinks they're going to get rich off baseball cards. <laughs> well, I think the thing that's probably different is a lot of the cards now that are valuable, mm-hmm. they're numbered. It'll say how many of those cards are out there. So okay. like... My That's Corey Seager is like a one out of twenty six, or it'll say which which like it'll say like this is number ten out of twenty six or whatever. And so if there are only twenty six of those, then they're a lot more valuable. But like you said, if it's kind of like the old fashioned days, and if it's just you know, I think I I honestly don't like there are certain card companies, and I'm not. I know a fair amount about collecting, but I'm not like a, like my brother who's like a big collecting guy and he he has made mm-hmm. money doing this stuff. Like there are certain card companies that are more expensive and worth more. So it's like this is a chrome refractor that's worth more than just a regular rookie card out of a tops pack mm-hmm. or, or an upper deck pack. Um so yeah, there's some ways that I think it's probably changed over the last 40 years or so. <laughs> yeah. It seems much more professional now. Like my brother and I had a, a I won't call it a scam, but it was a it was strategy <laughs> back in the day. You'd go into antique stores. It was just some old lady running this antique store and every so often you'd find baseball cards and the goal was try to find the old woman who has no idea how this how much this stuff is worth and buy it dirt cheap off them <laughs> and so we'd always try to get old willie stargill cards and stuff from the 70s in these in antique stores and that was our master plan but again <laughs> to this day i don't know anybody from the 80s who got rich by doing that <laughs> have you looked at any of those cards like within the last 10 years and seen maybe i could sell these for something well that's that's the thing i could look at what the price is I could say, oh, this Robin Yount rookie should be whatever, 80, 100, I don't know how much, probably more than that. And I listed on eBay, and I don't think anybody would buy it for that price. That's my, that's my belief. That's what my dad had beaten into my head. Who, who's going to buy it at that price? It says it's worth that much. Who's actually buying it? Yeah, that's a good point. I, it works for my brother. I know my brother, he was, uh, he was living out in an L.A. area for a little bit. And so when he was out there, he was trying to you know make find some funds. And he's like, mm-hmm. hey, I got some these James Harden rookie auto cards. If you can find them, they're like $300 each or something. And mm-hmm. um, we found them when he came back home and he sold them. Boom, boom, boom. Just sold them right away. So um, mm-hmm. I, I guess like you, there are certain people, they've put in enough time to understand how these market uh, works and how to, how to make money doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's also a lot of like, boxes that come in the mail and look i've i've taken a loss on a lot of cards over the years too i don't really i just kind of do that was what two years ago last time i bought some cards but like there are a lot of guys i remember buying rookie cards of in high school and i'm like Mm -hmm. yeah this guy like like randy foy out of villanova (laughs) university he's gonna be a great nba player and it's like he's just a (laughs) rotational like combo guard who stuck around for five years like there's a lot of that stuff that you just can't really (laughs) <laughs> can't really predict. 
Yeah, my, my brother to this day still has about 200 Bo Jackson rookies, <laughs> thinking that those were going to be worth you know thousands of dollars each one day. And I don't think they're – he never quite rose to the heights, especially when every kid in the 80s was collecting those. But I can top him in my shame is you may not even know this name. You might be too young, but I was convinced Sam Horn on the Red Sox was going to be the greatest Sam power hitter Horn. ever. Sam Horn, wow. Sam Horn. Look up <laughs> Sam Horn. He was amazing his rookie year. Like all these home runs, big lefty monster. And I still have to this day like 50 Sam Horn card, rookie cards somewhere, because he was going to be my meal ticket. <laughs> Can I put in a plug for the best baseball cards I have? I, this may actually make, make people a little jealous. Oh, I yes, do have, please do. So a couple years ago, someone, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook said, hey, you know the movie Major League? They filmed that movie in Milwaukee. They filmed that movie where I lived, blah, blah, blah. The day of filming, they handed out baseball cards for all the players on the, in, the, in the movie. It's this limited edition India, uh, Cleveland Indians Major League Baseball set of Jake Taylor, Wild Thing Vaughn, Pedro Serrano. He's like, I have those cards. They're like the most difficult cards to find in the world. And he's like, Mario, I don't really follow baseball anymore. Would you like this set? So I actually have that set wow. of Cleveland Indians cards, which I know – those things are considered priceless, and I would never sell those in a million years. But I actually do have those. I was given those as a gift. That's amazing. By the way, you're going to do a staff picks on Major League. Is that correct? We can get a little plug in here. I am. There we go. Yeah, I am going to do. I do. I do. I do movies uh, that I think are underloved, underrated. It has always baffled me over the years that Major League is not considered the de facto greatest baseball movie of all time. Like I, everyone always talks about The Natural and Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. And I'm like, you know, those are good movies, but Major League is the one that's actually about baseball. Right. So that's the one I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna do a staff picks on that. Big fan of that movie. That movie changed my life. First R-rated movie I was ever allowed to see in the theater. Very excited. My mom took me to that one personally, even though I was not allowed to see ours. So that was a it was a big milestone in my life. What are your thoughts on Major League Two? Major League Two, by the way, you go from R-rated original movie to PG-rated sequel. Yeah, this is something we've talked about on Staff Picks that whenever they have a big R-rated movie, they always dumb it down and water it down for the sequels because they want more kids to be able to come. Mm, National Lampoon's Vacation, another great example of that. We always start with the harsh one and we go down, down, down. So Major League Two in general, in general, I don't like sequels because sequels don't have to do any of the world building, any of the work that the first one did. They're just kind of lazy. So I don't really love Major League Two, but it does have Jack Parkman uh, I forget. It's either Keith David or David Keith. I always get their names mixed up, the actors. But I do like the bad guy in that movie, Jack Parkman. He's oh, great. he's great. Yeah. No, Major League, I'm with you. We did the sports movie bracket uh, on here on JackVita.com earlier in the summer. And uh, for me, it was like Moneyball, Major League, I think are uh, 1A and 1B in terms of all-time great uh, baseball movies. So I'm excited to listen to you talking about Major League, and uh, you and I are going to talk about Moneyball at some point. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and those are very different movies in terms of like what you're looking for. So if someone tells me, hey, Moneyball is my favorite movie or Major League is my favorite movie, I think those are more than acceptable answers. But yeah, if you want to talk about, I mean, Bull Durham, I think is like, I just don't understand it. I watched it one time and it's it's more of like a like I remember seeing some of the baseball scenes. I'm like baseball scenes are solid, but it's mm-hmm. not a baseball movie. It's a relationship movie. 
Exactly. And you could say the same thing for Field of Dreams. It's about a dad and his son. And yeah. I love Field of Dreams, but if I'm saying, what is a baseball movie? Field of Dreams doesn't necessarily need baseball to tell that story. It's a device to tell the story they're trying to tell. Major League is a straight-up world-building fake baseball league season. Like, and, and that's the thing with Moneyball. I love Moneyball, too. Like you said, a very different movie than Major League. Moneyball has to lie. Like It kind of makes up a story that didn't really exist, and it says it's based on a true story. There's a lot of details in that they kind of fudge that aren't really real life. I still love it because it's told so well, but that's I, that's why I like Major League. Major League is just a straight up, they invented a baseball universe, which I love. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I'm excited for those uh, podcast episodes. Make sure you guys are subscribed to Staff Picks. Going back to baseball collecting stuff, mm-hmm. what did you or do you collect in terms of like if you go to a new MLB park do you try to grab something from that park because for me I always try to get a souvenir soda cup um, and sometimes I don't even buy it sometimes after the game I walk around and see if someone just left one there and unfortunately I didn't actually get one in Arizona funny story (laughs) so uh, you know they got those souvenir soda cups right you know I'm talking about yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. Now, this is a, an awkward question to ask me because all, despite my baseball love and I love to travel, I have never been to a baseball stadium that's not on the West Coast. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I just have not. You think most baseball fans love going to stadiums, and I would. I just have not had the chance. I've never been to Fenway, never been to Yankee Stadium, Wrigley, anything. I've just been to the West Coast. And even then, I've never been to the – I still call it the new stadium in San Francisco. I haven't oh, been wow. there ever. I've been wow. to Candlestick, but never to the, the new one. Oh, you'll love it. You need to go. Yeah. The problem is nobody else in my family is really a baseball fan. Uh, like my wife will kind of tolerate it. She'll go with me if if we're if we have tickets. My daughter couldn't care less. My son, who I thought was my big my, the great white hope here for baseball, <laughs> really couldn't give a crap about baseball. So so I really have no one to go with. That's the problem. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, if I'm ever out there, I'll hit you up. We can do the Giants. That'd be I mean, that's a great park. I was only there once, but it was mm-hmm. It's it's oh my gosh it is so cool you see the bay you see the all the bridges out there you see a um, little bit of the city and then of course the food is phenomenal um, mm-hmm. so highly recommend going to the Giants game to anyone who hasn't been before <laughs> yeah I I always defend Anaheim I love Angel Stadium and this is this will speak a lot to my age and the era that I grew up in I love Anaheim because you can find five dollar parking and you can get one dollar tickets some days. <laughs> and that's really my well, criteria. Had, that's Mario, my criteria for baseball. A, um, they had that one game where it was free to go. They did that yeah. a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, Angel Stadium is so laid back. It's like the last. Oh, sorry, no, stadium. sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking the A's, but yes, Angel Stadium. Yeah, it's cheap. It's great. Food's great. It's a beautiful park. I've been there yeah. too. And if that's the thing, it's like going to baseball in the '80s. It's very much a throwback to yeah. how I grew up. The other stadiums are a little too advanced and fancy, and like they're demonstrably better stadiums and better places to watch baseball. But the Angels feels like what baseball was like growing up. It's really not fancy, not pretentious. You're not dropping a lot of money. Also, as a Mariners fan, I can wear my Mariners jersey there and not get my butt kicked. So it's kind of <laughs> nice because the fans there don't really care. They're it's like baseball for families and stuff like that. It's not Dodger Stadium where. I would I would hesitate to wear a Giants jersey into Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and for me as a single guy in my twenties, like the I will say the women there in Orange County are just mm-hmm. beautiful. They're great. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, California ten, that is definitely a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of let's see, where were we at? We were talking about oh yeah, so I had a funny story with the souvenir soda. So 
I was going to get one. I went to the Diamondbacks game. I went to the Arizona State football game this past weekend in uh, the Phoenix area. A great time. Um, Chase Field. I don't know if you've been there before, Mario. Nope. That's okay. not. I've not been there. It's solid. It's good. It's it's a really good park, but I wouldn't. You know, I got my rankings, and I think they're ones that are a little more iconic, a little more special. The thing that I think is most uh, different about that place that really differentiates it is they have that suite in center field where you can go for uh, a swim in mm-hmm. the hot tub or in the pool, um, but you have to pay like it's like thirty thousand dollars to buy that suite. Uh, so those are like private parties out there. Yeah. And that speaks to my argument with Angel Stadium. Angel Stadium doesn't have anything like that. There's, there's yeah. no $30,000 suite where you swim. So. <laughs> I mean, it just we depends were, on what you're looking for. It's funny, though, because you see, like, women just, like, hopping out of that suite, like, in a bathing suit and dudes just walking around without a shirt on, like, <laughs> going to go get some food, going to the bathroom, and they come back, and it's just like, this is only... I, I think that's the vibe of that park, but we had the thought, like, we're like, okay... The game's almost over. It says if you if you move in, like if you go into that suite and you're not supposed to be there, which it looks very easy, like you could just jump in, like jump right in, in from the outfield into the pool um, mm-hmm. or climb down, and uh, you'll get kicked out of the game if you do that. Well, we were thinking, well, the game's over, so <laughs> we should just jump in, and it'd be yeah. a great story, but we, we didn't because we're lame. <laughs> no guts, no glory, Jack. <laughs> but we did. So the funny thing is uh, we were at the game with – some of my friends or my friend and some of his friends out there, Jonathan Jaggard, he's been on this show uh, several times and his friend Hagen, not a baseball guy at all. Really great guy. And so he's like, Hey Jack, like you're in town. Like we're going to go get some food. Like as, as you're our guest, like whatever you want, let me know. I'll go get it for you. So I'm like, okay, I want a souvenir soda. And he's like souvenir soda. Okay. What's that? I'm like, well, each stadium has, its own cup like a signature cup i guess is what you would say um and so i don't know if i use the term signature cup he had no idea what i was talking about (laughs) so he's going around and he went to like different stations and instead of asking for a large soda he's like he's like i want the signature cup (laughs) what are you talking about signature cup (laughs) so anyway he didn't end up getting it for me um he just came back with like a normal size diet pepsi he's like i'm sorry they didn't have your signature cup <laughs> well if you want i have like six mike trout signature cups from angels team i can send you one you could pretend you went out here oh i actually have one actually right here uh no camera but i do have one i'll send you a picture later okay. um yeah mike trout when i went to that game diving catch in center field and he did one of those his like signature homers when he reaches down like by like below his knees and he just golfs one over the center field wall. It was so cool. Yeah, luckily I've seen him do that many many times against Seattle. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an honor. <laughs> I mean, he's an all time great. He is. You described him to me when we were messaging. He's the Mickey Mantle of this era, and I I totally agree. Totally mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, right from day one. His stats are astounding, and they have been so consistent over the years. Like, someday people will look back at him and will say, wow, that guy was amazing. And it's a shame that he plays out here in Anaheim where he's kind of buried. They don't really talk about him like they should. Like, if that guy was in New York, he would already be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and thankfully, though, Shohei Otani is getting the attention <laughs> because what he's doing is never – this is unprecedented. It's been phenomenal to watch. And I think one of the best keep – one of the best kept secrets about Shohei Otani, the guy runs like a deer. He is so fast. 
Yeah. He's like he's like a six tool player. We always talk about a five tool player, hit for contact, he can feel, you know, yada yada. Well, he does all that and he pitches and he's the best pitcher on his team. And the team would be they're seventy four and eighty two. And if Otani was off that team, how many wins fewer do they have this year, Mario? Oh yeah, he's like a twenty win player. He's like twenty. Yeah, yeah, I think he's um that for war, I think he's like an eleven war player. But it feels like he's worth more than that. And war is a war is flawed metric. You can't go it off war. But this is probably, I mean, he could potentially be keeping the Angels from being the worst team in this division. They're seven yeah. teams game better, seventeen games better than the Texas Rangers. Shohei Otani is the reason that that's the case because that is not a good team there out in L.A. Yeah, I just saw him on Saturday a couple days ago, two days ago, or three days ago. It is Tuesday. Yeah, three days ago. He is so fast. He's like a monster. He's like, what, 6'3"? He just is taller than yeah. everybody on the field. He hits these balls down the line, and like it's a triple automatically. He had two triples by the third inning. I'm like, well, this is <laughs> – we can't beat this guy. This is ridiculous. <laughs> he's going to hit a home run or a triple, and he's only getting better with the power. He's striking out less than he was like last year. It's like, oh, my God. Like – Everyone talks about, oh, he's the next Babe Ruth. I'm like, Babe Ruth didn't have those wheels. I'm sorry. That's well, <laughs> I, yeah, I Babe, Babe Ruth is a version one Shohei Otani. The other thing with Babe Ruth, like you said, like you said, he didn't have those wheels. He was chugging beers, eating hot dogs, probably during the games as well at that era. But the thing with Babe Ruth is he wasn't really slugging and pitching at the same time. Like the Correct. when he was pitching, I think the most home runs he hit in a year was like seven or 12 like somewhere in that range yeah he wasn't he was just you know like he he was a pitcher and then he was a hitter and this guy's doing both at the same time and if he wasn't pitching he'd probably be their best outfield like defensive outfielder i would think because he's such a great athlete someone posed this question recently i i love this question it was like if you could have a, a team of Nine, your entire your entire team is just the same player playing every single position. If you could clone the guy, mm-hmm. it's like what player would you take? And naturally, you take Otani. But if you're thinking all time, and you have to think beyond Otani, I would go with another Japanese player. I go with Ichiro. They always said Ichiro could have pitched. That was always the legend that he threw so and hard. And he said he w- he said he could. He's like I could mm-hmm. pitch, and he also could hit for he could hit for power too. But he was a slap hitter. Yeah. Well, the one more thing I want to point out about Otani, and I'm glad you brought yes. up Ichiro. Now, I saw this firsthand in Seattle, is that when Ichiro signed with the Mariners, the Asian fan base for that team was amazing. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, people that never cared about baseball were coming to the stadium, and they were serving... I know they used to make fun of Mariners in the 2000s, because, oh, they'd sell, they would sold sushi at the ballpark, yeah. and all the other stadiums would laugh at that. Look at that sushi at a baseball game. Who would eat that? But, like... You see the same thing now, and I noticed as my wife commented on this at Angel Stadium just the other night, that half that crowd is Asian or Japanese. Like they all have signs, they're all supporting Otani. He does so much for that team and that community and that attendance above just his stats, which are amazing. It's that it's a franchise altering thing when you have someone that big to a new section of the fan base that might not have been there before. And it's really just like I saw with Ichiro. And I think that goes to show how great the sport is, where it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what size you are, it doesn't matter what you look like, if you can play, they're going to find you somewhere. And 
that's what I think this should, I mean, I think you could make that argument if you want to talk about life. Like, that's how everything ideally should work in a society. You want the best people regardless of what they look like, where they're from. You just want the, you know, people are the best of it. Baseball is such an awesome melting pot where you have so many of these guys coming from Latin America who are just, you know, signed for a sack of potatoes and maybe they should be paid a little more money coming over here. But, you know, they make it happen. And we have such an awesome melting pot where you can have Aaron Judge, who's probably six foot ten realistically, mm-hmm. and he hits these, you know, massive home runs. And you got Jose Altuve, for better or for worse. Jose Altuve is really like five foot four. You got guys like Otani coming over here from Japan. I really think that this sport is just so special in that regard. Yeah, and I've always thought that as well. Like basketball. You're going to be tall, unless you're like Muggsy Bogues or Spud Webb, those little freaks that can jump like eight feet in the air. But And then football, you got to weigh 300 pounds. you got to be a big dude. But yeah, baseball, you had Ichiro, who was one of the best players in baseball. He couldn't have weighed more than 140. It was a little (laughs) runt. So like, yeah, baseball, you can get away with that. And it's... I know that's always the thing. Like pitchers, they're they're more and more. They said a pitcher must be six two, six three, six four. They want them tall. But you still have short pitchers that make it, even oh, yeah. despite all odds. You have pitchers that don't throw as hard. You had Jamie Moyer back in the two thousands, who barely broke eighty miles an hour. You know, winning twenty games a year. So baseball is the most democratic sport. It's the, uh, I mean, you'd argue in Europe, soccer, football, whatever, is the yeah. biggest sport because it's got the most international appeal. But Baseball is really drawing from like Latin America, Dominican Republic, Japan. Someday maybe they'll start drawing from Australia or Europe more. I don't know. But like there's a chance it could be the most international sport by far in the U.S. Absolutely. And I think like you talk about in terms of like pulling people from other parts of the country, like or parts of the world, I should say, like in the NBA, yes, the foreign game is really growing and Team USA had a rough go at the Olympics. Yes, that's true. And yes, there's a you know a Dirk Nowitzki, there's a Steve Nash from Canada who I know mm-hmm. you have a little bit of history with. <laughs> but those guys really are outliers. I mean, Luka Doncic right now in Dallas is a he's a big star, but for the most part, there really aren't a lot of guys. There's Yao Ming, but that's not how most of the league looks. Like you got to mm-hmm. be big, and most big people aren't you know living in Italy mm-hmm. and other places uh, other parts of the world and then of course in football in american football like there are very few international players in fact mm-hmm. i was watching hard knocks and there's a guy who's trying to make it from mexico and i, I believe he may have, he would have been he didn't make the team i he was trying to be i, I guess I, I don't want to screw this up but he he was trying to be one of the first true mexican football players who was who came over here as an adult to make it to the NFL and he didn't make it. I mean, that's just, that's just the, the case right now in baseball. It's just such a great melting pot. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's, I was just thinking that the other day, you look at a lineup, you could have an entire lineup of like nine guys from Latin America, Dominican Republic. And they always say like, you know, people want to be represented. People want to mm-hmm. see people like them who are like them out on the field. And you get little American kids watching an entire team of like a, Jorge Dominguez, Domenico, Paco <laughs> Rodriguez. Like, these are not people they would have grown up, you know, seeing, so they're not representative, but it's still, they're their heroes. You have yeah. all these heroes from countries you may have never even heard of. So it's, it's really interesting the demographic shift in baseball over the years. And I know there's 
pluses and minuses. I know right. there's been the argument there's not enough blacks in baseball. That's been the here in L.A. That's a big thing. They have uh, academies out in L.A. to try to get more inner city black kids into baseball. They want to make sure they're not pushed out. But it's just yeah. the interesting demographic changes of baseball over the years have always fascinated me. Yeah, I think the thing that's tough right now is I, I love what they're doing in terms of making the game easier for people in low-income communities, Mm -hmm. regardless of what their skin color is, for them to play. Because baseball, it's not an overly expensive sport. There are other sports like hockey where you have to just get a million equipment. But like Mm -hmm. basketball, for instance, all you need is a ball. You just go out on the blacktop Mm -hmm. and you can play. Baseball, you do need equipment. So if we're able to get that equipment out to more kids, then more kids can play baseball, and that'll be good regardless of, again, regardless of if they're whatever they look like, it would be good to have some more black players. Um, but like you said, I mean, there is, you know, we got Liam Hendricks right now from Australia. Mm-hmm. He's he And he's one of the best characters you have in the sport. <laughs> like, it's just, I think the game's in a really great place right now. And unfortunately, it's not really fashionable for people in the media to kind of, you know, people like to act like, oh, baseball's outdated. It's not cool. Like, baseball's pretty cool still. Yeah, nothing to me is more exciting than a good baseball drama. You know, playoff game, stretch run, winning streak. And that's always been, like, there's other sports I've followed over the years. I followed basketball. I was in Seattle when the Sonics were real big. We don't really talk about them anymore. (laughs) Sonics have moved aside. But, like... From my, from my money, there's nothing more exciting than like a baseball winning streak and when a team is hot and being there just live in person. It's just it's an indescribable feeling. And I've always thought baseball is the best sport and I've always loved it. And it's funny, like you said, you can't explain that to non-baseball fans. They don't really get that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's the thing. Like it's either it's either your thing or it isn't. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's OK. There's a there's a group of people that are probably never going to like baseball, no matter how much you change it. Now, mm-hmm. should we maybe modify some things? And maybe, you know, right now, conversation is going to be the shift. Do we ban the shift or do mm-hmm. we put restrictions on the shift? And, you know, we're pressed for time, so we can't tackle all these issues mm-hmm. today. Um, but at the end of the day, like. People who don't like baseball aren't going to just start liking baseball because all of a sudden you you don't have a shift anymore. Like there are just certain things that I mean, yes, we should modify it and yes, like we're making some good changes, but also we don't want to change the sport too much where you alienate the core mm-hmm. audience of the of the fan base. Um, and so I I do think that I just I just get annoyed when people are like, oh yeah, well you gotta you gotta fit these millennials, and it's like I know a lot of millennials that love baseball. Like it's there, it's it's either you love it or you don't. Let's not try to force it down people who don't like it, and let's not make people who don't like it change the sport for us who people do like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've given up and dropped out of baseball a couple times over the years. Where I just kind of it's a little too much to follow all this, and I don't need the emotional up and down of being a Mariners fan. <laughs> But every time I go out, I come back. I will always come back if something interesting is happening. And baseball replenishes itself every year. That's that's the, the great thing about it. It's the you know, hope is alive on April 1st of every year, no matter how bad oh, your yeah. team is. But the other thing with baseball is that it's such a cerebral sport. And it's a tough one to get into, but it definitely... Like there's different levels of appreciating baseball. And I will always say, I'll, I'll, I'll say a little something about myself here. I cannot watch a baseball game and not keep score. 
I have huh. to keep score. That's how my mom is. My mom, well, whenever we go to a game, my mom is keeping score. Yeah, because you can just see, okay, this guy's three for four. He's coming up in three at bats. You can see the game from the perspective of a manager. You can kind of see, oh, we got to get through this part of the order. Like, if you're just watching the game, you see the number seven hitters up, you may not appreciate that, the significance, but like, oh, if the pitcher gets this guy out, then the cleanup hitter might not get one more at bat later in the game. It's just, you can see it visually, you see the game. And so I'm always sitting there, and if my son goes with me, I explain what I'm doing. I show him the score, and I'm showing him how I'm scoring. And that, well, I got to say, this is the best compliment I have ever received in my life. <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. We were at an Angels <laughs> game earlier this year, and there was this uh, teenage couple right in front of us, these millennial kids, uh, maybe even like, maybe Gen Z. And it's just this guy and this girl, and like they didn't talk to each other the entire game. It was like clearly they were on a first date or a second date. They didn't know each other. There's, and she's looking around. I don't think she had the first clue how baseball worked. She wasn't even paying attention to the game. She's kind of looking around. He's <laughs> intently watching the game, not talking to her. And so I'm explaining as I'm keeping score. We're sitting directly right behind them, so literally like three feet behind them. And I'm explaining to my son how I'm keeping score, what's happening in the game, why this is important, what the pitcher is trying to do. I'm like showing him. I'm pointing. Look at the first baseman. See him move. See the shift. So I'm explaining why all these things are important. And at the end of the game, I literally watch the girl in front of me. She's texting her friend, and she's like, I think I understand baseball a little better. Because she was literally <laughs> listening to me explain to my son the whole game why things were important because her boyfriend wasn't doing a damn thing to help her out. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. I actually taught this probably 19, 20-year-old girl kind of a little bit of why things are important in baseball. She actually kind of got it for the first time in her life. Yeah, I actually think that's actually interesting that you bring that up because I do know some women who, you know, maybe growing up, they didn't have any male siblings. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't big into sports. but And so, like baseball it's not like it's not like baseball's rocket science at the end of the day it's it's fairly simple but there are a lot of intricacies to it um that make it different there's no there's no scoreboard you don't have a shot clock you don't have a mm-hmm. game clock like you're just playing it so i think a lot of there are quite a bit of women who they're not sports girls because they've had opportunities to be into sports baseball might be a little different baseball mm-hmm. i think appeals to different kind of fan than football and basketball do Mm -hmm. and so i've actually known some women where in their 20s or you know late teens maybe they date a baseball player or they you know they they're just friends with some guys who like baseball and so they're around it and they want once they actually understand it they're like oh my gosh this is the best game ever this is great Mm -hmm. so maybe there's a way we got maybe we got to find some ways that we can teach girls about baseball at a young age so we could develop a little more fans. But I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job with that. I know Jenny Finch has been doing a lot of uh, softball stuff for young girls, and they've been kind of reaching out. And the numbers actually on these broadcasts last couple years have been up significantly in terms of children and women. Um, So I think that that's great for the game of baseball as well. Yeah, my wife has said that. She said when she was young, her dad would sit her down and they'd watch Giants games. She lived in San Jose. And they he would explain kind of baseball, how it worked. And she's like, I was always so thankful he did that with me because people don't do that with little girls much. Yeah. yeah. And up in Seattle, up in Seattle in particular, they really are making an effort to draw in more female fans. Like, I don't know if you know, the beat writer of the Mariners is a woman, Shannon Dreyer. Uh, the, the main Mariners blog, Lookout Landing, the two writers are both female they have a female president now of the team. 
they're really making an effort to draw in more women into baseball, make it more inclusive. And it's really kind of neat because, like I said, my wife has said the same thing. Like most girls my age couldn't give two craps about baseball <laughs> because no one ever really sat down with them and explained why, what's going on kind of on a more meta level. And so it's just all it takes is one person to kind of maybe help someone out. It don't have to be girl, don't have to be male or female. Just anybody who didn't grow up with baseball, you kind of need somebody who did kind of pointing out the little features the first time or second time they watch it, and maybe you can develop an appreciation. Absolutely, and I love what uh, MLB Network has done a few of these now in terms of they've had all-female broadcasts where mm-hmm. they have like five women, you know, a couple of them. It's actually a different feel because they, they call the game from the MLB Network studio. They're not there. So they kind of provide a little different source mm-hmm. of entertainment. And Elise Benneker is actually someone who I've been in contact with. She's done a couple games on there, and she's going to be on this show. Um, and Elise is fantastic. She played uh, softball at Cornell. Um, so she's great. And, like, I love that they're doing that stuff. And it's it goes beyond – it goes beyond what we're talking about in terms of reaching out and getting more women involved. It's like, you know, there are, you know, in terms of like this idea of who you put in front of a camera or whatever, like there are a lot of men who are going to say like, Oh yeah, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. It's about sports. I know so many women who played sports. They're like Stephanie. They know way, they're much better athletes than most guys. They know way more about sports than much, most guys because they're a woman. They're not given the same kind of street cred. So I'm all for this idea of putting more and more of them behind a camera. Um, at the end of the day, again, I want the people who are best at doing whatever it is. So whether they're male, female, or whatever they look like, that's what I want. And I think there are a lot of women who, are way better at this than a lot of guys. Like, and there are a lot of, the other thing is like, I know some of these sports reporter guys, there are a lot of sports reporter guys who didn't play sports growing mm-hmm. up. And they're not, they're not really sports guys. I think some of these women, uh, actually a lot of them have a lot more to offer in different regards than a lot of these, uh, men do. Well, I just, I'm just impressed when anybody has passion about a subject. And that's the one thing as I get yeah. older, I just appreciate that more and more. I see, like uh, you see uh, more women running websites about baseball and it might not be as good as the guy's website as first, but they have passion and they're going to get better. And that's the thing. People need to learn to grow. And, and baseball fans in general are very, you know, tradition based. They don't like change. And I remember in particular, the Mariners had a woman announcer back in the late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, probably one of the first ones in baseball. And I remember at the time, I didn't like it because it sounded weird having a woman <laughs> announce now batting, but it was like a, a woman's voice. And at the time, I mean, I'm as traditional as any other baseball fan. That just sounds weird. Right. But, you know, you wait a year, it doesn't sound weird anymore. That's the thing. It's just you got to give people time to get into this. And baseball is the perfect sport. And again, Seattle, Seattle Mariners have been just, I'm not even just talking about my favorite team. I just happen to have seen this, that the movement they've made to really get more young girls into the sport overall. I, it's really going to pay dividends for them in the long run. You'll have these long-term female fans growing up, being big fans, teaching their kids about baseball. So it can yeah. only be good for the sport. Well, it's also good for men like me who, I like, I want to marry a girl who's a baseball <laughs> fan. Like, it's going to be hard for me to marry someone who's not into sports if I'm doing this professionally as a sports yeah. reporter sports uh talk guy so <laughs> with then, the asterisk the asterisk being she better be the fan of the same team you are ah uh, that's okay <laughs> all right well my friend good luck with that wedding that marriage is going to be interesting <laughs> i'm less of 
I'm less a fan of a team as I as I used to be. I think like when the Cubs won the World Series and that was kind of like my graduation from fandom. It was my senior year of college. I'm like nothing's ever going to be better than this. And if I'm going to be doing this journalism thing, I want to try to be as minimally emotionally attached to it as I am. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I live in Chicago. My parents watch the Cubs every night. I watch the Cubs every night. So I have some biases. I'm going to be a little more knowledgeable about them than I am other teams. Um, and I'm going to go to Cubs games, too, because they're easy for me to hop on the L and just go to Wrigley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to be wanting them to win. But I don't have an emotional attachment to them as I as I once did. Um, so I, I think I'm, I'm becoming less of a fan of a team as I am just the whole game. And I think that's important to be able to look at this thing uh, rationally and analytically. It's it's important for what you're doing yeah. because you want to be a journalist. And I am just the opposite. I think I, right. I told this story the first time I was on the show that I used to be really big into fantasy baseball. That was like 80% of my life when I was in high school and in my 20s. Fantasy baseball, fantasy baseball, stats. And I realized as I got older, I missed being a fan. I don't like rooting for the A's pitcher if he's on my team against the Mariners. Like if they, if like my, my fantasy team, I don't like choosing them over my real life team. So I eventually just dropped fantasy baseball because I wanted to be a fan again. I want to have the emotional connection to just one team. I don't like divided loyalties. So I think it's very important what you're doing for your profession and what you right. want to be good at. I suspect as you get older, you may regret that one day though. <laughs> well, I think I have other outlets to be a fan like Valpo basketball is mm-hmm. just like always like there's no way that I can root for anybody against Valpo basketball. Like it's just yeah. so I, I think I have other avenues for it and I just love baseball. So I think I'll be okay. But is that like fandom sort of like an escapism type thing for you? Yeah, it's well, I mean, let me get a little metaphysical here. It's important to believe in something. Mm. And that's the thing. I, I'm an atheist. I don't have any religion. I don't really attach myself. I don't follow celebrity culture. I don't care who wins the Oscars. I'm very detached from the world. I always say I don't really interact with the world. I just sit and observe the world. But baseball is the one thing I allow into my life that's not my family or you know, my relatives where I really care about my team. And it's really important to me. Like, yeah, maybe they could lose this year, whatever. There's always next year. That's one nice thing about baseball. It teaches you failure. You can learn how to lose. Well, there's always another try next year. So it's kind of nice. But it's the one thing I allow in my life where I believe in something that I don't control. I think that's really interesting, especially because I'm a Christian and I'm basically a sport, a baseball atheist at this point. <laughs> like yeah. what I'm saying, and like we, this is what's great about sports is it brings people like you and I together. You know, you're from you're from the West Coast and Seattle, and I'm a Midwesterner through and through. And I'm a you know I have a Christian background, Christian family. I'm a Christian, and you're an atheist. And I think like what's great is this sport brings people together from different regions of the country. You go to a game. You're not talking politics. You're not talking religion. Like you're you're loving this one thing, even if you're fans of different teams. Like I think sports is such an awesome unifier in that regard. Yeah, I could go to any stadium in the country if I were to go by myself. I could sit next to somebody I don't know. If they're a baseball fan who knows a lot about the history of baseball and knows you know the general knowledge of baseball, how it works, I could have a great conversation with them, even though we're a stranger. 
And it's very much like a religion that way. Like, yeah. I've never met this person yet. We have something in common, and we could sit there and probably, my wife has always said, she's, it's amazing how guys can do that. Just sit with some guy you've never met, and I could be friends <laughs> with him after two hours because we're talking about the game. <laughs> it's so funny how men operate. Like, I always think about that scene in Swingers where they get in the dust up at the bar and the guy draws the gun on them. And then the next scene in the movie, it's like, Oh no, we ran into them somewhere. They're great guys. And they're hanging out over at their apartment. It's like, that's just how men are. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. But that is the thing. Baseball is very important to me and I try to downplay it. But as I get older, it becomes more and more that it's just, this is a big deal. It always has been in my life. I remember going to Mariners games in the kingdom with my mom and dad. It's just, Again, if you don't have something else to where you really believe in like that, baseball is really important. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me because like I like I talk about being less of a believer of a team and it's because I have a believe I'm a believer of faith mm-hmm. um in in Christ. So, yeah, no, I think that's super interesting. I hadn't I honestly hadn't thought about that before mm-hmm. for someone who doesn't have like much of a religious tie to anything. Um so I really appreciate that perspective. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't know if people know my history. I am very much a comedian at heart. That's what I do. I've been like that since I was like six years old. Whenever I see a situation, I want to think of the joke. What's the punchline? What would the joke be here? This is my heroes, Jerry Seinfeld, Norm MacDonald, David Letterman, Craig Kilborn, these guys who were really big in the 90s, 80s, 90s. And so when you grow up like that, you become detached. I'm very detached from the world. Nothing really affects me. I just watch, and everything I see is what would the joke be here? In baseball, I said, the one thing where I allow myself to really care about it. And I, I have a story here. I think I, told, I may have told this on the first podcast. I don't remember. Uh, you but I used to be, again. Yeah, I used to be a really hardcore fan. Like, I love the Mariners. Any team that comes into Seattle has to crash and burn. You must lose. Boo. Like, I hate all other <laughs> teams. Like, I was really, really fanatic about it. Like, I, I really legitimately hated the Yankees in the 90s. I hated any team that was up against the Mariners. And then one day, it was, what, 1998, I think, I was at a job interview in San Diego. And I was down there, and I was at, it, was, it was the day after the, the Padres had lost the World Series, I think, to the Yankees, 98 maybe, something in there. And there was a big parade in San Diego. I'm down there walking around downtown because I'm down there for a job interview. And there's all these kids lined up for their Padre heroes. And I remember there was some little kid saying, hey, there's Kilvio Veras. Hey, there's Tony Gwynn. There's Trevor Hoffman. And these were like the biggest moments for these little kids' lives to see their Padre heroes. And I like couldn't have given two craps about the Padres. But it just made me realize every kid in the world, some baseball player is their hero. So like I got so much less angry at other teams over that when I just realized like this is the biggest moment for this little eight-year-old kid. He's seen Kilvio Veras, who I, could, I couldn't have even named Kilvio Veras a week ago. <laughs> but he's this kid's hero. And then being down here in Anaheim, the same thing. When I go to Angels games, kids lined up to see like Sean Figgins or uh, Darren or not Darren, or Darren Erstad. Like these are players I would have hated because they were against my team. But to these kids in Anaheim, these were like heroes. This was a huge moment for these little kids seeing these players in person. So it really made me realize how important a sport like baseball is to little kids all around the world, all around the country, I guess. And it's the same everywhere. Like, I can't hate the Yankees and Red Sox so much as I used to because there's some little kid in New York who idolizes the second no-name second baseman for the Yankees. So it's, it's really opened my eyes the more moving around the country and seeing that perspective. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Baseball teaches tolerance. 
How about that? <laughs> yes. It taught me not to hate every other city in the country. But it's just, again, it just opens your eyes. It gives you a little broader perspective that everyone kind of goes through the same milestones as life. I was a sad, pathetic little Mariners fan hoping for you know, uh, Mickey Brantley's autograph back in 88. But there's still some sad, pathetic Yankees fan who is exactly like me, and you don't realize they're exactly like you were at one point in your life. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, that's actually similar to an experience I had this summer. And I'm actually I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I, I do cover NFL, but I don't like I you know, if I, I could be potential I see myself in the future being like a baseball journalist. I don't mm-hmm. really think of myself in that way in the NFL and who knows? Could change. So I have a little more fandom in the NFL because it's not as big a deal to me. I'm more a fan of the Steelers than I am any other team. And so I went out to Cleveland earlier this summer to go to a Cleveland Indians game and see city of Cleveland for the first time. And you know, what's interesting is like people in the Midwest. And I I guess maybe you can tell me if this is not just the Midwest (laughs) thing, people love to bag on Cleveland. They're always like (laughs) this place stinks and same thing with Detroit. And there's a lot of something that turns me off about Chicago. I think Chicago used to be more of like a working class, humble city. Mm-hmm. And now there's a lot more elitism. It's like, Oh, you, you Chicago, we're, we're, we're way better than any other city. And if you live in the suburbs, screw you, you're not a real Chicago. And like, <laughs> and that never existed up until recently. Like my parents grew up here. It was more like Milwaukee and, mm-hmm. um, Cleveland, Detroit, just these humble working class, kind-hearted people very laid back and this elitism is like more like a new york or a boston thing mm-hmm. and it's kind of infected chicago so people are always like yeah cleveland stinks well then the other thing is i'm a steelers fan so i really do not like the cleveland browns at least <laughs> in the past i i have not and they beat the steelers in the playoffs last year and i was so upset and uh Anyway, so for the for the you know especially the last couple of years, the Cleveland Browns team has just drove me crazy. And Mario, I don't know if you ever heard about the. I know you're not a big NFL guy. Uh, there was a play a couple of years ago in the Steelers Browns game. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where? No, I have no idea. Okay, no. so <laughs> after a play, Miles Garrett, defensive end, he's like an All Pro defensive end on the Cleveland Browns. He uh, ripped. Mason Rudolph's helmet off his head and Rudolph is a Steelers quarterback and he hit him over the head with his helmet. Um, Hmm. It was really scary. Like you, you could kill someone he's got no helmet on his head and you're hitting Hmm. him, striking him with a helmet uh, right in the skull. Thankfully he was okay, but that really ignited even more hatred between the Browns and the Steelers. And I had most Browns fans actually were like, that was totally wrong. Uh, we're sorry. Like we we don't we don't embrace that. That's not right. Um, so anyway, though, I had negative feelings about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I went to Cleveland and I interacted with these fans, and these are maybe the best fans in the country. Like they're mm-hmm. just so nice. They're humble, working class people. They they know people don't like Cleveland, but they they don't care. They got so much pride. Their teams have been, you know, they've had nothing to write home about except for, you know, one Cavaliers championship a few years ago. Other than that, it's been a long time since they've won anything. 
And they are still, like, that Cleveland Indians game, they're all upset that they're no longer the Indians. I felt bad for them about that. They were they were bummed that they're now the Guardians, and they all had so much pride in their team. And the, the stadium's packed. They're doing chants. They're pumped up. They're an amazing fan base. They're kind people. And I went, I left that stadium, and I'm, th- I'm thinking, you know what? If the Browns were to win the Super Bowl this year, which they actually have a really good team this year, and they they have an opportunity to do that, like I wouldn't be hating on the Browns. I'd be mm-hmm. so happy for these great fans to finally have that experience. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's something I advise people as well. Don't just hang out with people who like the same team that you do. Yeah, it's so much more interesting to find someone who's really like something really means something to them, but it's a totally different team because it will change your perspective so much. And like I said, it's very similar to your story, my story. Um, I uh, had a, a guy I used to work with out here in L.A. He was from Cleveland. He was a Cleveland fan. Loved the Browns. Hated Art Modell. <laughs> just <laughs> loved the Indians. Loved the Cavs. Just huge diehard Cleveland fan. And I knew his team, Cleveland, his, his, his city, is even more hapless than my city, Seattle. <laughs> so like we kind of bonded, and I, I felt his pain when Cleveland would always lose. I'm like, I would really like something nice to happen to this guy because I know what it's like when my team never wins. And what happened is then uh, Cleveland started good at getting good in basketball, but I remember they had that 30 for 30 called Believe Land. Yeah. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, I did. And you know what's funny, though? I actually... See, the thing is, I got a bad taste in, of Cleveland fans from that documentary because my mm. my thoughts on it was I'm like, I really I enjoyed the historical thing, but it felt like they were kind of depicting Cleveland fans as whiny. Like, woe mm. is me. It's so bad. We got it so bad. And I'm like, you know what? Columbus isn't too far down the road. You got a great college football <laughs> team that you love. Like, you know, I, I don't want to hear about how bad it's been. I'm sorry. But that's not how they are at all. I was at the game, and they're just like, oh, don't feel bad for me. Like, that's fine. You know, we, we love our team. It was, yeah. So that was my one gripe with that documentary. <laughs> but, I did, yeah, that was my first experience where I really got the whole Cleveland picture. So I didn't really yeah. grasp, grasp the whiny part of it. But, like, ever since that documentary, now I kind of, you know, half-heartedly root for Cleveland in the background. I'm like, I'd kind of like nice things to happen to those people. Yeah. And, this falls in line with my beliefs on baseball. Now, I always root against the Yankees and Red Sox, and <laughs> people think I just hate them. And Well, I used to in the 90s. I was really, like, I really hated Jim Laritz. I hated that Yankees team. But now it's a whole different argument. Now it's just more, it's better for baseball if, more, if different teams win all the time. Like, I would love to see the people in Texas win a World Series. I want to see the people in Cleveland. I, I just, I think it's better for the sport when it's moved around and more people experience joy based around their teams. I just think that's more interesting for life when everyone loves the sport for those reasons. So that's my main thing why I don't like just seeing the same teams in the playoffs every year and, just, you know, self selfishly backs into my argument. All of you should be rooted for the Yankee or for the, for the Mariners this year and not the Yankees for this exact reason, because <laughs> you'll new bring joy to a different part of the country for once. And it'll be interesting. Yeah. And I think I'd actually argue that. And I guess, I don't know if you agree with me, disagree with me. I think that baseball has a good amount of shuffling from top to mm-hmm. bottom. I think the NHL is probably the most uh, like that with that salary cap, that hard cap, and there's really no advantages to any city that you live in. You can't win a team by signing a bunch of free agents. It just doesn't work. Like when the Blackhawks had to pay their guys, they just couldn't do it anymore. They won three mm-hmm. Stanley Cups in five years, and they've been rebuilding since. There's a lot more shuffling up and down in hockey, and obviously there's some first-class organizations like the Red Wings. However, 
in uh, in baseball. Like, I mean, I mean, you. I should say, look at the NFL. Look at how the Detroit Lions are bad all the time. Look at how the Chicago <laughs> Bears never have a quarterback. Look at the Miami Dolphins since Dan Marino. They've been trying to figure out their quarterback thing. New York Jets. Like, in the NFL, bad organizations just stay bad for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Maybe, and we could examine why that is another in another time. Baseball, there is a pretty good amount, I think, of shuffling. Like, the AL Central's had every single team except the Twins play in the World Series since the last time the Twins won a playoff series. And that was, I think, <laughs> of 2002. Like, I think there is a good amount of that in terms of baseball. And I think maybe part of that's the new age analytics that teams like Tampa, teams like Oakland are able to, to do this thing. But I find that very interesting. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. That's again, Seattle has the bad luck of the draw. We never make the playoffs, but we have not been a bad team. That's yeah. the thing. They're they're fun games, and Seattle's been fun to root for for the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's 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 a long ways from the '90s. And again, you probably didn't grow up in there, but it was a big deal. '94 was the year I was born. Okay, but so that was the thing in no the one '90s. Won a, no one won a World Series the year I was born. Yeah, that was a great year for baseball. Loved it. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I can't. I was born and I changed everything. I was. <laughs> <laughs> you did. It's been nothing but golden skies ever since. But <laughs> but back then that was very much the thing in baseball. Anytime a player was good, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, you know, uh, David Justice, whatever. Oh, they're going to end up on the Yankees one day because the Yankees just get all they have the money and they buy all the players eventually. So now, admittedly, that's not why they won the World Series. They won the World Series because they had the farm. But you knew as a mid-tier team back in the '90s your best player was going to be on the Yankees one day and there was nothing you could do about it. And it was very disheartening. Well, this seems like the right time to transition over the National League. And we won't spend nearly as much time on the NL as we have over the, since we got into AL and everything else that's been fantastic that we've talked about. The LA Dodgers have a payroll of over, like, they're like around 260 million or 270. Like, they, they are going all in. Now, granted... Like you said, the Dodgers, the reason they're, it's it's not like, oh, they just went out on the market and they took everyone else's best players. Like, they've added Max Scherzer, they've added Mookie Betts, they've added Trey Turner, so they've gotten some elite players, but it's because they had such an amazing farm system that they drafted, developed mm-hmm. all these guys. Uh, shout out to Logan White, by the way, uh, who was the scouting director for a long time and now works with the Padres. Logan White drafted Clayton Kershaw, Cody Bellinger. He signed Hanjin Ryu, Kelly Jansen. They transitioned him from a catcher to a pitcher. Like they've been, he they drafted extremely well. Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, like all these guys. And then since then, since Friedman comes in, he starts and he takes some of the Tampa principles where it's like, you know what? We're going to sell high on some of these players. So we're going to trade Matt Kemp when no one thinks we're going to, we would trade Matt Kemp because Matt Kemp is so great. Well, Matt Kemp, they trade him and he's never the same player again. They get Yasmani Grandal back in that trade. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, they're right now, they have an opportunity here, nine straight vision titles. Um, but they do have the they that having that kind of money is obviously an advantage because then you're able to retain those players and then you're able to add Mookie Betts mm-hmm. and Max Scherzer. So I hate I don't like to rip on them because I think there are other teams that have the resources. For instance, like the Cubs could do this. They have the money. They could do this. They didn't draft well. They didn't develop players. They made a lot of bad mistakes with some of their 
uh, personnel decisions. Um, the Dodgers deserve credit for what they're doing. They've won the NL West for the last eight years, and yet here we are with six games left. The San Francisco Giants, out of nowhere, 102 wins this year, 102 and 54, and the LA Dodgers are 156. So Giants with a two-game lead in this final week. I picked this Giants team to finish in dead last in the NL West, and boy, was I wrong. I mean, what a <laughs> what a story this year, Mario. Yeah, all my in-laws are Giants fans, so trust me, I never hear the end of that. <laughs> Like, oh, isn't it great that we always make the playoffs and we're always good? Isn't it great that we have 102 win? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> well, I mean, they, I mean, look, they had that great run, 2012, tw- <laughs> yeah. or 2010, 2012, 2014. They hadn't been in the playoffs since 2016, and it really felt like they're about to blow this whole thing up. And then what ends up happening? They have this year. It's kind of an outlier year. Like, it's hard to imagine them replicating it. The thing with the Giants, it reminds me, if I were to compare them to another team, remind me a little bit of the 2005 Chicago White Sox, where it's a team that wasn't great. Like, the the White Sox didn't. That team made the playoffs again, like, three years later. But other than that, they weren't, like, a consistently good team. They just had all the right pieces. They had great team chemistry. A lot of guys on that team had a career year that year. And this is a Giants team that I'm just looking at. They just got something to them. All the pieces work. Gabe Kapler's done a a tremendous job. And I really didn't think Gabe Kapler had this in him. But Farhan Zaidi is an executive. Fantastic job in terms of constructing this roster. They go out at the deadline. They had Chris Bryant. Um, The Giants are in position to win the division when no one saw this coming whatsoever. It's a great story. Did you grow up playing baseball? I have yes, a question for I you. I did. Okay. Because there's a great quote that I've always loved, and this sums up the Giants, I think, in a nutshell. You don't play baseball on paper. Yeah. You still got to go out and play the game. And that was my favorite quote as a kid when I played. Because I played all the way up to American Legion, all the way to college, basically. And and you'd play against teams that you knew were supposed to be better than you. Mm-hmm. And you'd get so geared up for these teams that are supposed to be so amazing. Because I'm like, you know what? I would just like to ruin their day by beating them <laughs> because we're not supposed to win. And when you have no pressure on you and there's no expectations, it's such an amazing feeling because you can't lose. So that's, that's again, it's happened to the Mariners this year. happens with the Giants even more so. Projections are wonderful. I love projections. They give you a good idea how the season will probably play out but you still got to go out and play the game and you don't win baseball on paper. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Because on the flip side of that, you have the San Diego Padres who were everyone's pick this year. Everyone's like, mm-hmm. and I, except me, I had them as a wild card team, but they're not even going to be a wild card team this year because they're 78 and 78 at 500. The deadline, this race was relatively close and they've really just fallen off a cliff. They've had to, the guys they've been starting here, like down the stretch, their their pitching rotation just hasn't held up. I mean, a lot of those guys, um, and part of it is last year, you only play sixty games. Year before mm-hmm. that, the Padres were, I think they were, you know, they were they would have been in the wild card after sixty games back in twenty nineteen. Last year, I think they went thirty seven and twenty three or thirty six and twenty four, something like that. All right, that's great. You played sixty games. We're back to real baseball now. You play 162. Mm-hmm. You got to be durable. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been a guy who's gotten hurt quite a bit. 
And then their pitching staff, none of those guys have stayed healthy. You Darvish and Blake Snell come over and really disappointed in a lot of regards. And now they're trotting out Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta. Like, this is not the Jake Arrieta from five years ago. This is uh, 2021. And the the Padres have been just a, a huge disappointment this year. Yeah, and it's funny because I've been, I mean, I only live two hours away from San Diego. I'm down there all the time. We've been to a couple games. That's a weird baseball town. It never feels like it, it's baseball is important there. Ooh, it's an odd feeling. It's, it, that's, I mean, just my experience. I've been in L.A., I've been in Dodger Stadium, been in Angel Stadium, A's, Giants, Mariners, all over the West Coast. San Diego's always the weirdest one for me because it never feels like it's as big a deal there as it is to the other cities. Their stadium's right in the middle of downtown. It's a beautiful it's kind of a, area there. Yeah, it's, it's really pretty. Like, the area is almost too pretty for baseball. And I've, <laughs> I've heard people say that before, that San Diego's so pretty and there's other things to do that baseball will never really be the biggest thing there, which I kind of agree with in a sense. It's just an interesting feel there compared to other stadiums. So I've been there, and it was f- six years ago. And this 2015 San Diego Padres, and that year was the year that they went out and they traded for Justin Upton and Will Myers and Craig Kimbrell and mm-hmm. Matt Kemp. And so it was a little similar to what kind of happened this year where they went out and they won the offseason and everyone's like, oh, the, the Padres are going to be really good. This year, though, was a little different because when they built that team, it was like they didn't really have any prospect capital to stand on. It's like you're basically just building your team through the – through trade and free agency whereas this year it's like okay they have all these pieces look at all these young guys they've developed look at Tatis look at Cronenworth look at uh, Mackenzie Gore was a guy who's supposed to come up this year and be a high impact pitcher Uh, Chris Paddock another one Um, Denilson Lamette who's also injured like there were this team was supposed to be so good and it's it's different from six years ago but when I was out there six years ago, I had a similar sort of vibe and it was in the middle of June and it, it's like, all right, this team's disappointing. It's not very good. I was curious though. Like, have you, you haven't been out there this year though. Have you? No, I haven't been down there recently. Okay. I just, I just know San Diego. Okay. San Diego. I don't think we'll ever fully embrace that team. Okay. Cause I was just from watching the games. Like I've been watching a lot of the Padres, at least earlier in the season it felt like it had a very different feel this year than it had had in the past. Like it felt like that buzz, that energy, that excitement. Um, it, it, I don't think any of that was lacking this year. Um, so I guess yeah. it'll be interesting to see where it goes moving forward. Yeah. And cities can change. Like you said, Chicago, very much blue collar, yeah. humble city, maybe not so much anymore. Cities can change as the culture changes in more transplants, more money piles into an area. So yeah. it's entirely possible, but that's, that's just always been my thing. My, my beef, not really, not really beef, but my <laughs> stereotype of San Diego that there's other stuff to do there and sports are never going to be that big a deal. And I know that because that's similar to Seattle where I'm from. It's when we lost the Sonics, a lot of people thought it was, oh, Oklahoma City just came and you know, outbid them. But a lot of it was the city just didn't really care that much. Mm. Like there was actually a committee called Citizens for Better Things to Do, which actively fought paying for a new stadium because like we have other stuff to do in Seattle. We don't need sports. So I kind of think Seattle and San Diego are similar in that regard, that there's so much other stuff to do and the weather's nice and there's you know lots of money floating around that maybe sports aren't really the thing that everyone's going to embrace there like they do in the more blue-collar places. 
Yeah, I mean, they had an NBA franchise, it left. They had an NFL franchise, yeah, it left. Yeah, that's my point. When yeah. you lose major franchises, it means that city is not that sports-starved. Yeah. And so elsewhere in the world of baseball, so basically right now, the only two things that are up in the air in the NL, it's not as exciting. As, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it is exciting, but we'll see, I guess. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, we have two things up in the air in the NL. Who's going to win the NL West and who's going to win the NL East? At the time of this recording, Giants have a two-game lead on the Dodgers. Padres are out of it, essentially. And then in the NL East, uh, again, Philly's playing some great baseball since Stephanie came on the Jack Vita show. Uh, so maybe they need, maybe Stephanie needs to come back on in order for them to win these games. But no, uh, the Phillies are two and a half games back of the Braves. It seems a little like it's too little too late. But the Phillies and the Braves open up a three-game series tonight, and this is in Atlanta. Now, the Braves are leading at this time. They're up 2 nothing. Um, if the Phillies can sweep and you go into the final weekend with a one game lead or a half game lead, then I, I feel pretty good about the Phillies, but that seems unlikely for them to go all the way into Atlanta, sweep a good Braves team. Um, and then obviously, so basically the rest of it is all lined up. You got Milwaukee Brewers are winners of the NL Central. They clinched. And then uh, the St. Louis Cardinals haven't lost in three weeks. They've won 16 straight. By the way, shout out to Jonathan Jaggard, who said on this podcast a month ago, he said, I'm just calling it right now. Cardinals are going to go on a streak. They do it all the time. They're going to win the second wild card. So right now, at this time, what I think we'll see, and we'll see what happens to the NL East, it's, it's really what you're seeing is you got the Cardinals are going to be the second wild card team. And then the Brewers are going to be the team of the second best record. So they're going to play the winners of the NL East, which will be either Atlanta or Philly, most likely Atlanta. And then on the NL West side of things, whichever team wins that division is going to have the home field advantage, obviously, throughout the playoffs. But the problem is you're going to have to probably play the other team in the NLDS because I'm just shoot you straight like let's say the Giants win the NL West here now you got Dodgers and Cardinals in that wild card series I would much rather play the Atlanta Braves who are at 83 and 72 and all due respect to the Braves you know they they turned it around they've had a nice second half here but you're either going to play a team with 100 wins well over 100 wins Dodgers at 100 right now or a team that has won 16 straight and we'll see how the Cardinals finish out this week here. Um, but I think it's, you know, this is a flaw in the way that these playoffs are set up because the giants are going to have to play one of those two teams in a best of five series when I, I, I don't know, maybe I'd rather play Milwaukee or Atlanta if I'm them. Yeah. To quote the great Harry Carey from Saturday night live, would you rather <laughs> be the top scientist in your field or get mad cow disease? You choose. <laughs> I love how he's Harry Carey from Saturday Night Live now. Well, I had to make sure that people didn't think that was the actual Harry Carey saying that. This is Will Ferrell, one of my favorite SNL. I, I, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of old SNL quotes, so that's one of my favorites. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so do you have any thoughts here on the NL side of things, Mario? 
uh, I, I warned Jack going into this that I may not be the ideal guest for a baseball podcast because I actually do not watch the NL. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on over there. I only know that the Giants are in first because my in-laws tease me about it every day of my life. That's the only <laughs> So I have no thoughts whatsoever. I will pull a Robin Gibb and say, no, nothing to add here. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, so you guys can be watching for these Atlanta, the Atlanta Philly series here. That's that's the thing to watch over these next few days here in the middle of the week. And I think we want to root for chaos a lot of times, as, at least for me now, like covering sports. It's like I want to see the crazy stuff happen. So in college football right now, it's great because all these teams that have been the blue blood programs, Clemson, Ohio State, they've lost already this year. Clemson's lost two games. So we're going to get some new teams in the college football playoff. Um, so we'll be talking football later this week. But anyway – um, this baseball thing, it would be great to see the Phillies. Uh, it would love, I'd love to see, to get in a situation where you could have on Monday when I'm talking with Brian Cohen that day. Um, obviously not ideal for me as a podcaster because I don't know who's going to be in the playoffs if this happens. But as a sports fan, it'd be great if you have a, one, a game 163 where you have two teams tied for the division lead or in the case of the NL West... So you so in the on the NL East side of things, let's say that winner of that game gets in, loser doesn't make the playoffs. NL West, winner of that game uh, wins the division, loser goes straight into the wild card game the next day. And we could also see a 163 on the AL side of things. So I think that's what I'm rooting for right now, Mario. Yeah, you would. That's the thing. As a sports fan, you want to see something you've never seen before. That's always exciting. And I, even as a Mariners fan, I could. If we get to the game 163 and lose a one-game playoff to Toronto or New York, you know, it's still something exciting. I saw something I may have never seen before. So, Yeah, Whatever. absolutely. Hey, were you, did you have any other baseball thoughts for the day that, uh, or thoughts on this season? Anything that was interesting <laughs> to you in 2021? Um, again, just uh, I think people forget how dicey it was at the start of the season with all the COVID quarantines and stuff yeah. and people getting put on the 10-day IL that we've kind of moved past that. I don't think people rem- uh, remember how dicey the start of the season was if it was even going to happen. So I'm really happy we had some normal baseball to follow again, and it was uh, it's been a good year. And I could sit here and talk about the Mariners for another two hours, but I know you have time <laughs> time limits, so I will choose not to do that at the moment. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything interesting I want to bring up to you while you're here. I, I think that's interesting you bring up the COVID thing. And, I mean, I remember – a year and a half ago when we were all in lockdowns, there were no sports being played. And there was like, I don't know where this came from, but I remember it was like this conspiracy theory slash whatever. And you shouldn't put any credence in any of that. It's not worth your time. Most of the time it's just weird things that internet people come up with, or sometimes journalists back it or whatever. Anyway, there was a thing where it's like, yeah, Baseball could not be played this year in 2020. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, that that's true. That could be the case. It also could not be played again until 2022. Like, w- there's because the things were a little shaky to say the least with the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, and getting them back onto the field. There were some people who had legitimate concerns that we wouldn't be playing baseball right now, and it wouldn't even be because of COVID. It would just be because these two sides couldn't get together and work something out. And now we're going to enter into 
CBA stuff, labor negotiations this winter, and it's probably going to be, I don't think it'll be that bad, but it's going to be a little annoying for about a month or so when people are like, ooh, is baseball going to be played next year? We're probably going to go through the same thing again. Um, But nevertheless, I'm just grateful to have it. It's great to have. And as a National League fan, I'm going to enjoy seeing pitchers hit for the last time here over the next few weeks. <laughs> oh, you're one of those. You're a pitcher's hit type of person. Oh, okay. Yeah, my I don't know. I think my thing is I'm like a, a baseball moderate and moderate in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in, in most areas of life. Like I just like to try to take a couple sides and blend them together and see what you get. Like that's the way mm-hmm. you do it. And so for me, you know, I prefer National League Baseball. I like the strategy. I like the pinch hitting. I like the way the game runs. And I also like seeing pitchers that hit. However, at the same time, and, and by the way, I, sh- I should say that I don't dislike, I like the way that we have it now. I actually like having two different leagues that are a little unique and special in e- each other's mm-hmm. way and that there's a role for guys who can't play position anymore to, to still play every day and hit. Like I, I like that. Um, but at the same time, like the thing that I think is that makes me begrudgingly like fine or, you know, okay. Accepting of the DH is the fact that it's screwed up at every level. There's a DH in high school, there's a DH in college. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's flawed because like, here's the thing with, they probably think that it's good because you get more kids at bats. So they get more opportunities to showcase themselves to scouts. But I've had friends who have been, and I know guys who DH in college, you're not going to get drafted if you're a DH in college. Like you you need to play a position. (laughs) So I think like the DH having it at those lower levels screws this thing up because then a lot of these pitchers don't hit regularly. I mean, in high school, they do. In high school, they're typically like the they're unless they're playing in Southern California and that they're at some like extremely competitive prep school where it's just a like Orange County that that area there's so many good high schools out there which I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of mm-hmm. good MLB players have come through there um, but like if you're from just some you're you're from Arkansas and you're playing on some team like and you're a major league player you're a pitcher chances are you're probably the best athlete on that team and you can hit really well mm-hmm. but then you get into college and you get into the minors and you don't hit anymore. And it's like, mm-hmm. ideally what I'd like is to just abolish the DH at those levels, have those pitchers come up and get regular AB. So then when they get up to the majors, it's not like, you know, like I understand the idea of like, yeah, you don't want to take too much batting practice when you're, you know, trying to own your craft as an NL pitcher. Um, and you're not used to standing in the box. You don't want to get injured and stuff like that. But if you're taking those at-bats through all those development levels, then you're going to at least resemble being a major league hitter more than you would as as it is set up right now. So I think it's kind of like you got to do it just because the rest of the, the, the way the system is set up. But I don't like the way the system is set up. Yeah, and the, the, again, the, the logic is you're right, you're correct, but you're also – the barn door is far too late to close on this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
because I was playing high school in baseball in 1991. And even then, every team uses a DH. Like it's been that way for 30 plus years. Every level uses the DH. So it's like the pitcher still hitting is just an antiquated way. Like I, I understand the logic that it maybe is more interesting to watch, but that is clearly not the way baseball has been going for years. So like I, I know I understand your argument. It's just futile at this point because this is just the way baseball's going. No, I and I it's just like like we said, it's not going to change. There's no way that you could change it if you wanted to, and I would love to, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I've I've seen this coming. We've all seen this coming. And so for me, it's like I want to hang on to like classic National League baseball as long as possible. So it's like mm-hmm. uh, if we can put this off five years, like that'd be nice mm-hmm. to just kind of enjoy it because I do like a lot of strategy. I love seeing like going back to some of these playoff series, the Cubs and the Dodgers in 2016 where – they make uh, Dave Roberts makes the decision because he basically wants Jake Arrieta out of the game because he was, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was Lester. I can't remember. He wants to get the Cubs' top pitcher out of the game in Game One, so he intentionally walks Jason Hayward, who couldn't. He batted like one seven, one sixty, maybe. He may not have even batted a hundred in those posts in that postseason. And I think there were runners on first and second. He intentionally walks Jason Hayward with the idea of like, all right, so now I'm going to force your hand and you can, you can either pinch hit your pitcher or you can leave him in there and you're probably going to get out. Um, and basically what he did was no one could hit that starting pitcher for the Cubs who I can't even remember which, which pitcher it was. But then what ends up happening is Miguel Montero comes in, pinch hit, grand slam, um, and I like to me, like, and to you, uh, and while you're not an NL guy, like we like the thinking and the thought process and then mm-hmm. like the chess pieces of this game. Yeah. So I, I don't want to lose that. Now there are still a lot of ways. It's not like that's the only way that this happens, but it does add a layer to it that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I can't argue against that. You're completely right. It's just, I kind of like that the two leagues are different. It's it's. Yeah. I I didn't grow up watching National League games. I didn't think I don't think I saw my first NL game until I was like 20 years old. It's like oh wow the pitcher hits that's kind of it, it it changes the game quite significantly and I'm just not used to seeing that. But you're not wrong. I mean that's it's definitely a uh, <laughs> different strategy when there's the pitcher in there. Yeah, and I I do like having different leagues and i'd love to get back to a time if we can expand this league and get to 16 in each league i'd love to go back to when i i wouldn't say have no interleague play but let's go back to like 15 Mm -hmm. years ago 20 years ago when i was growing up yeah and you have like those showcase interleague games and it's always like like who who are the mariners up against and when they do like an interleague each year that was the thing we don't really have a rival it's kind of a running joke that they they the baseball tries to say that every team has a, a regional rival yeah and they try to say that ours is the padres and i'm like what what have the mariners and padres ever had any sort of rivalry but they to this day still say that that there are regional rivals all right we'll give uh we'll put the expansion team in portland yeah there the you go NL vancouver side. yeah vancouver or portland give us Ooh. or like or boise or something like that <laughs> yeah boise actually would be kind of cool like that yeah but uh i personally never played baseball where the pitcher hit ever and i'm 50 years old and that's one thing they always say oh put baseball back the way it was it's tradition for the pitcher to hit like dude the dh has been around for like 50 years it's not new at all yeah yeah so that'll be the they'll i'll enjoy these at bats and i hope that at some point in this postseason i'm talking on this show about 
one of these starting pitchers going yard. I don't know if it's Max Scherzer. I don't know if it's uh, – I got to look at these teams real quick. Who's in there? <laughs> uh, first, at first I thought it was going to be Shohei Otani. Then I remembered you said postseason, and now he wouldn't be there in postseason. <laughs> I want to see one of these. I want to see one more time one of these pitchers with a big AB, whether it may, maybe not even a homer, just a pinch hit, uh, knock in a run, give himself some run support. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'd be a good way to, to close the chapter on pitchers hitting. There you go. Go out with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some good, some good playoff moments. And of course, when Bartolo Colon hit his home run in a regular season game, that's Bartolo Colon Day forever. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every year on Twitter, that's on this day in 2016, Bartolo Colon hit this home run and everyone's so happy. It was great. Well, in Seattle, they still talk in hushed and glowing terms about the day that Felix Hernandez hit a grand slam. <laughs> I remember that. I was watching. I remember that. So was that 07? It was against Johan Santana, if I recall. I didn't oh, see it man. personally. I missed that game. But I, they still talk about it. You cannot mention Felix Hernandez without some Mariner fans saying, hey, remember that grand slam he hit? So they, they always remember the yeah. pitcher hitting the home run. Yeah, they, that was one of the good things was it always it always produced memorable moments. Archie Bradley, he was on, he's a member of the Chris Rose Rotation, which is a very good uh, baseball podcast out there. And he talks about... He talked one time. He's like the most the moment of my career that everyone remembers. And Archie Bradley, a reliever now with the Phillies, and he was with the Diamondbacks for a while. He hit a triple in the wild card game that like cleared the bases, mm. and they made a bobblehead that was like the Archie Bradley like bobblehead, <laughs> like where he's like standing sliding into third base, and like like that's the stuff I think we'll miss. That's that's the fun <laughs> stuff. I remember the first time I ever went to an NL game. It was a Padres against the Mets in 89 or 90. I forget when. I'd never seen a National League game in person. And we're in San Diego. And I remember Frank Viola comes up to hit for the Mets. He was pitching for the Mets at the time. Former Twins great. And I remember him being so overmatched by the pitcher. My brother and I were just laughing. I have never seen a pitcher hit before. So I was not used to that spectacle of someone who is never going to hit the ball ever. I'm like, I could walk down there right now and have a better chance than Frank Viola hitting this ball. So I thought it was so amusing. So again, my perspective on this is different. But it, it was a spectacle. I do remember that. You always remember the first time you see a pitcher trying to hit. Let me ask you this before we sign off. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Otani, mm-hmm. and this is something that I'm going to ask Arrestus the next time he's on. I think what's so interesting and I guess I don't know. This is what I would ask Arrestus because he played in Japan. I'm curious is if in Japan a guy like Otani is able to not be as specialized as he would be if he grew up in America. Where, look, you know, like like I talk about, in college and in the minors, pitchers don't hit. And you basically, when you get drafted, you're always, 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 aside from like Jake Cronenworth, there are some, yeah, you know, and then there are obviously some guys like Kenley Jansen who convert from catcher to pitcher, but for the most part, like ninety nine percent of the time, you get a minor league system and you're either a pitcher or you're a position player. Mm-hmm. If you're a pitcher, you're not hitting anymore. I'm so curious, and maybe more information will trickle out about this, like. How different is Japan Japanese baseball where it allows guys to play multiple positions and to pitch? And, you know, for like Otani, if he came up in America, I highly doubt that he'd be allowed to do what he's doing now. 
and so I don't know how you know common what he does is in Japan, at least in terms of guys trying it. I'm not saying anyone is rivaling how well he does it in terms of truly dominating at both uh, as a position player and as a pitcher. My thing that I was, I think, so my question to you, how does this, if at all, change the way that we look at and develop players? Like, is there (laughs) any kind of thought that we have about, hey, maybe we should get these guys doing multiple things if they're great at it in high school, which a lot of these draft picks are? Yeah, this is a fascinating question because I just heard a stat the other day that astounded me. And I didn't know, you may have to look this one up as we're talking. But I heard the it was the Mariners announcer, the Angels announcer. I was listening to the Mariners and Angels game, and Otani was pitching. And the announcer pointed out, you know, everyone thinks Otani was a big shot pitcher in Japan before he came over here. He was not. I think they said he only had 70 innings pitched career-wise when he came to the U.S. So, like, when he started pitching in the U.S., he was effectively like a single-A pitcher because he'd never really had a chance to do it full-time. I'd have to look that up. Has he really gotten that good in two years where he was never pitching before? Now, that doesn't answer your question. I thought that was a, I just thought that was interesting. I didn't realize he hadn't Let's had see. years and years and years of pitching up until he came to America. Yeah, I'm on baseball reference. It looks like in 13, he threw about 150 innings. And then in 14, okay. 150, uh, 15, 160, uh, Let's see. So that looks like uh, I'm curious what that stat was that you were looking at. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it was 70 games. Yeah, that that might be. That's probably it. Because it looks like he's thrown okay. well over 300, like maybe like 400 innings or so in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I'm looking at these numbers, he, he had a couple really. Uh, okay, 14. He had a 2-2-1 ERA, so he was lights out. 13, he was at 402, and then 16, he was lights out, he was 186, 17, mm-hmm. 342. So he was okay. He was really good over there in Japan. Okay, so that's it. So n- n- ignore everything I just said. The <laughs> announcers were clearly on crack that day. <laughs> so, but yeah, but but you're right. Every single player that comes up in most you know, programs in baseball, high school and college, they're the best pitcher and the best hitter on the team. That's not that unusual. So I personally think we probably may see more people to pull off what Otani's doing. Again, I don't know if anybody will. As you, as you pointed out, he's not only one of the best pitchers in the league and the home run hitter, but as you said, he's going to go, he may go 30-30 this year. He's also yeah. got a lot of stolen bases, yeah. which someone pointed out, no pitcher has ever done that before. Yeah, this is like this is the reality of growing up and playing baseball. There's always the best kid in the city and the state that's the best hitter and pitcher. Yeah. So it's not that unusual. And I'm always shocked that more P, more programs don't try that because I think I just saw an article today how valuable Otani is to the Angels because he saves them a, a roster spot. Yeah. They don't have to put an extra pitcher on there to replace them. So that's a huge bonus if you have that on your team. So I I would love to see it more often. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't want to say that anyone is just going to walk right in and replicate what Otani's doing, but I think that there are other versions of this where you could see, like, I mean, Jake Cronenworth pitched in AAA in the when he was with the Rays system, and now he plays infield on the Padres. And I think it would be great to see more opportunities for guys like that. However, mm-hmm. the fact that we're just going to put the DH everywhere. 
I mean, that that's, I think, maybe, maybe it's actually, maybe it's utilized the way that Otani's utilized. Maybe it's like, well, this guy was a great hitter in high school. We don't want him to get hurt. We'll have him DH on the days he's not pitching if he wants to mm-hmm. do that. So I think that we will see this happen a lot more. Um, at mm-hmm. least try. They're gonna people are gonna try to make this happen a lot more. Um, yeah, but I find a it smart GM is gonna try. A smart GM is gonna try that move. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I mean it is a little risky because you let's say you're a scout or let's say you're in player development or your GM. You draft a guy in the first round, and he's a big time pitcher, mm-hmm. and or maybe let's say he's the the he's known for his position playing, and now all of a sudden he gets hurt as a pitcher, even if it has nothing to do with him pitching mm-hmm. or standing in the batter's box. Like people in the sport, people in the media are gonna twist it and say like, "Oh, you should never do that because mm-hmm. that's the group think." It's like, <laughs> don't be different. Um, so, like, it would take some cojones to do something like that, but someone's going to do it. Someone's going to try it, and someone's going to fail and lose their job over it, but someone has to fail for it to succeed. That's the problem. Yeah. No one wants to be the first one that fails at it. All right. If you had to predict an organization that's going to go for this, who will it be? It's not going to be a traditionally great team just because they can't take those chances. I would say it'll be a team that really needs to make a splash that is not historically a big market team like that. Maybe someone like uh, Arizona or something like that. Mm. I Texas. was thinking like you know Tampa mm-hmm. and um, Oakland are always yeah you know, Oakland the teams are yeah. yeah Oakland again they they can only survive by doing smart ballsy things that other people aren't doing so yeah I would not put it past them at any point and I think it probably will happen uh, fairly soon I don't know <laughs> although it does bring me to other one other thing. Why doesn't anybody try knuckleball pitching more? Seems like that would be an easy thing to do. A hitter and teach him how to throw a knuckleball, it'd be very valuable. <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, that's we haven't seen knuckleball. Like, is there a, is there even a knuckleballer in in the bigs right now? I don't know. I'm personally, I don't I personally haven't heard so. of one in a while. But like, yeah, that Tim was Wakefield was the last one. Yeah, that was always the thing when I was a kid. There was always some 50 year old knuckleballer still throwing 270 <laughs> innings a year, which were. He wasn't the best pitcher in the world, but he wasn't the weakest either. He was. He gave you some innings. <laughs> You're darn right. Mario, we, we got to wrap things up. This was an absolute blast. Uh, so why don't you tell us what you're working on right now, all the different projects you have going, and how people can uh, follow along. All right. My big one is I do a website called The Funny 115, which I count down all the funniest moments on the TV show Survivor. That's what I'm known for. I've probably drawn two and a half million readers over the years. It's astounding how many people know that website. Uh, so go to funny115.com. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's an edgy website, but you want to see my background <laughs> as a comedian. That's me just trying to make people laugh in the same way that Norm MacDonald and uh, David Letterman used to do. That's my, my tribute to Norm MacDonald, basically. <laughs> so the Funny 115 is the big one. I uh, am probably the longest living Survivor writer writing about the TV show Survivor, doing podcasts about it. I've been writing about it almost since day one. Because of that, I run a podcast called Survivor Historians, which I don't even consider a podcast as much as I consider it a PSA, public service announcement. If you want to know all the Survivor history you need to know, you will never learn anybody with anywhere else. Go to survivorhistorians.podbean.com. There's four of us. We just kind of delve you through the entire history of Survivor in a way that nobody else really can do it because we were all there and most of us were writing about it. And uh, most of us are not. And very importantly, not uh, employed by the show. So there's certain things the show doesn't want you to say and write right. about, 
We do not have that problem because we do not work for CBS. So we can tell you the real stuff. So that's our big benefit. And then I do my movie podcast, which is called Staff Picks, which is just a passion project. Like I said, it's important to believe in something as you get older, especially. Hmm. And I just believe in certain movies that uh, have always meant something to me or I think are better than their reputation or get crapped on for no reason. And I love, again, being a Mariners fan, I love sticking up for the little guys that never win. <laughs> so go to staffpicks.podbean.com. You can hear me talk about movies, talk about movies that meant something to me or bring a guest on a movie meant something to them and we talk about it. So those are the main three. And I'll be going on at some point, so you guys are going to want to make sure you don't miss that. I'll plug it again when I <laughs> when I go on. I can put it on my site. But uh, <laughs> all right, last thing, Mario. I uh, forgot to bring this up. Seattle Kraken, they played their first preseason game. Mm-hmm. They won. And uh, we're gearing up now for the first ever NHL franchise. Um, are you are you buying into the Kraken? Are you excited? I am a crackhead, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> that's, I have never really watched hockey before. Again, you grow up in a city with no hockey, you don't really yeah. follow it. And Seattle, and hockey's not as big on the West Coast as it is in other places in the country. So I've never really followed the sport other than playing like EA Sports on HL 96 and 97 <laughs> back in the day. But when they said we're getting a hockey team, I'm going to make myself into a hockey fan. I am following hockey. I followed their draft. I actually started looking up scouting reports on these guys. Like, uh, I forget. I don't even remember their name. I remember Morgan Geeky. That's one guy. Like, I'd never heard of these guys a year ago. I have no <laughs> clue what these people are. But we have a team now, and Seattle is so starved for a new team since we lost the Sonics that the Kraken are going to step right in there. You walk around Seattle, you see Kraken jerseys, shirts everywhere. They are so huge already. They have not even played a game. And think, In fact, I think I read out of all the NHL teams, they like have the number one social media presence over like teams that have existed for 100 years. Like the Kraken <laughs> are so big on the internet that it's going to be astounding. And again, I don't purport to know anything about hockey, but I will be a total hockey fan from now on. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this again sometime in the spring or maybe during the MLB Hall of Fame. And uh, we can talk some Kraken then. And hopefully <laughs> it'd be great if they if they have a year like the Vegas Golden Knights, their expansion year, they went to the Stanley Cup. Like it'd be, it'd be pretty cool if the Kraken have a, a good good year this year. Uh, yeah, let me point out again how little of a hockey fan I am. You're saying words that I do not understand. You could be speaking a different language. The Vegas Golden Knights? What? The Stanley Cup? So yeah, I will be you'll, very excited to get into this. You'll get it soon. You'll get it soon. And you'll like it. I think you'll like it. It's a great sport. Right. Before I go, can I say one thing about one Mariner player that I wanted to bring up on this podcast? Please do. Mitch Haniger. Yes. Have you been following him? Yeah, a little bit. What, what's significant about him? A lot of people outside Seattle do not know this. He missed the entire last season. He had a ruptured right. testicle, and then he had surgery, correct that, and missed it, and missed the whole year because of it. He has 37 home runs right now in his comeback yeah. year after missing a whole season, which is only the third time in baseball history that has ever been done when you miss a full season and come back and hit at least 37 home runs. Right now, the only three people in baseball history who have ever done that Willie Mays, Ted Williams, and Mitch Haniger. Wow. You so know, let me just I, point, yeah, let me just point that out. I had blocked his injury out of my memory, and mm-hmm. now I'm having like, uh, ugh, I just feel gross uh, knowing about what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd forgotten about that because I didn't want to remember it. Um, but yeah, he's having a great year, and uh, it's a great story. I mean, he's a. Uh, I think another thing that's interesting is kind of going into the season and like a little bit of the Mariners outlook it's like okay 
they got a lot of outfielders coming mm-hmm. up through the system. They got Kellenich. Um, I, I I say Kellenich just because that's how all the NBA players are when they it's like a an IC. It's always an itch. Uh-huh. Um, but he's Kellenich, I guess. So yeah, I call him Kellenich, whatever. But Kellenich, uh, Julio Rodriguez, big time prospect. Kyle Lewis, um, Taylor Trammell was up at one point, and then there's Hanniger, and I think Hanniger and Trammell's probably. A, is Trammell still with the team, or do they trade him? No, he's in uh, AAA yeah. at the moment. Yeah, he's he... still in. Yeah, so he's still in the system, but he's probably a guy who's not going to be there big picture. I think with all those pieces and with with those guys coming up, it's Haniger was, and then he missed all last year. He was glossed over. I think a, a lot of I I would think that like a lot of big time Mariners fans, like my brother, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> forgot about Mitch Haniger this year. Well, it's because he doesn't own any Hanager cards. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to point out Hanager. He probably won't win Comeback Player of the Year because there's bigger stories and bigger names, and he's up in Seattle. But that is amazing what he is doing. And again, him, Willie Mays, and Ted Williams, and nobody else ever. Didn't they get him from the Diamondbacks? Was that the Gene Segura trade? Or no, not Gene Segura. Yeah, that was it. That was the Gene Segura. That was uh, Tywan one- Walker. Yeah, Seattle's pulled off some amazing trades the last couple of years. Although the one where we fleece Ty, Ty France and uh, Munoz and uh, Torrens from the Padres is probably the best one. But that is, but the Hanniger was another one. So I love the Mariners. I love Jerry Depoto. Could not be more excited about their future. This is the most exciting era I've ever seen for the Mariners. So it's good time. Well, hey, if the Mariners get in the playoffs and if the Mariners win a World Series, you're going to have to mm-hmm. call in for a segment here down in the stretch. But uh, other I will than that, demand it. Yeah, I will okay. demand it. If they make the World Series, you put me on over anybody, even Stephanie. <laughs> I could even, or I could say, like, let's say I have uh, Arrestus here again. I'll be like, mm-hmm. all right, Arrestus, Mario is my co host today. So. <laughs> yeah, just put me on. I can provide color. Like uh, in, in Major League, I'd be the other guy. Not Euchre, but the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> All right, good stuff, Mario. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, folks, that does it today for my conversation with Mario Lanza. We sure went the distance. We went over two hours. I hope all of y'all stuck around for the full conversation. And if you did... Make sure you tweet me and let me know uh, your thoughts on this episode. I'm at Jack Vita Show. Hashtag LanzaPod if you listen to it. And you can also tweet at Mario as well. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. It was fun going deep on baseball, thinking about the past year. It's been a great baseball year. Um, and we're about to wrap up the season here. At this time next week, there will be postseason baseball being played and you this is your the jack vita show is your home for mlb postseason analysis as well as football so i will be back here next week with brian cohen from the challenge our hap up podcast from rob has a podcast network It'd be great to chat with him he was here earlier in the season he's a huge yankees fan we'll see what is going on with the yankees at that point if they make the postseason we'll see if the mariners get in Nevertheless, uh, I'm very excited about this postseason, so make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita Show, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and log on to my website, jackvita.com, where I'm doing a lot of writing, and you can also get on my newsletter. So whenever I have a new podcast, whenever I write something new, they'll go straight to your email. So get on my newsletter, and uh, yeah, until our next episode... 
Until my conversation with Brian Cohen, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance to the lobsters. <laughs>